It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Another episode of the What's Real podcast, episode 109. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my co-host, my co-conspirator, and most importantly, my tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jared Bajoris. What's going on, the J? I'm going to pull an old classic out of the Jay's book here. Hey, you I used this before. I'll throw it out there. I'm as pumped as a boob on a lactation device this week. Hey, and as you can tell, that is pumped to high hell. Let's get the 109 in and we have a marathon to cover. So let's get it started. But your boy is P-U-M-P'd. This episode is more pumped up than a lactating cow at this point because we have a ton of shit for you guys this week. Uh, Of course, we have the AEW Revolution pay-per-view review. And if you saw the show, it was something else. So this is going to be really good. I promise you guys that. That's not all. We're going to be talking Genius, the brand new three-part Kanye documentary, uh, Kanye West, of course, uh, that has just shown up on Netflix over the month of March and another episode of Thursday Night Prime this week. Of course, we're talking Rage and Honor from 1992. Uh, Of course, we have a ton of other stuff. We're going to be talking some goofs and much more. So let's just get into it, The J. As we record today, um, tons of NFL stuff going on. Um, Quarterback dominoes are starting to fall uh, because we got the news earlier today that Aaron Rodgers has signed. Apparently, now there are some discrepancies in this. That it was reported that he signed for four years, two hundred million dollars, with one hundred and fifty-three million guaranteed. Um, he has come out and has said that he has not agreed to or signed a new contract. So, because you know it's Aaron Rodgers, it's never it's going to be the ongoing saga of fucking forever with this guy. Um, And also, uh, in more news, it looks that Russell Wilson is going to be on the move. He is going from Seattle to Denver. Um, It is pending a physical and Wilson's approval. Um, And man, this is a deal uh, here. I don't know if you saw this yet, the Jay, but they really uh, beefed this up. So what happens is the Broncos are set to get Russell Wilson and a fourth round pick for Quarterback Drew Locke, tight end Noah Fant, defensive lineman Shelby Harris, two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a fifth-round pick. So if this stuff is seemingly all happening, you know, like I said, pending, and of course Aaron Rodgers has to make up his fucking mind, uh, there might be two major dominoes falling in the world of football as of today, the J. Us. Blockbusters, hey, Ed, but yeah, blockbuster trade after weeks of negotiations, one of the largest trades in NFL history. So that says it all with the Seahawks and Broncos agreeing to uh, get quarterback Russell Wilson to Denver. So, you know, I, I think that's pretty much set in stone with the trade pending of physical and Wilson's approval, which with the money being thrown around as well and, and him wanting a change, uh, Russell, Russell Wilson himself from uh, Seattle where he started his career. I, I see that being pretty much 99% going through and huge. And, and like you mentioned, the ongoing thing with <laughs> freaking Aaron Rodgers just has uh-huh. me rolling my eyes. Cause it's, yeah, it's just, Keeps getting prolonged, like you said. It's still not indefinitive by any means, but I, I thought that was funny. They were throwing around like the fifty million dollar number, and I don't yeah. know if that was like kind of a different 
deal, but then it, it turns out to be, you know, 200 million. But I guess, you know, when you break it down, obviously four years is, is, uh, with 200 million is 50 million a year. So I get all that, but you know, 153 million guaranteed after what he's already done in his career. But the one thing against Aaron Rodgers, as much as a goofball as he is in real life and that, that sort of stuff off the field, he, he does prove it on the field. Uh, we, we said, you know, another big year for green Bay being a contender all year, you know, falling short at the end, nonetheless, but the year before that, the 2020 season, even uh, we had mentioned that the the team was stricken by injuries in Green Bay and things like that, and Aaron Rodgers still carried them to the to the playoffs and, and all that. So you know he's definitely a player that's worth putting it together as he's still going, but it, it's still all convoluted and and just you know like you mentioned, man, Aaron Rodgers. It, it's just funny too, just with the interactions on the the podcast where we talk uh, pro wrestling heavy a lot too, he's consistently a guest on the Pat McAfee show. So that, that is a unique thing too, that, that he pops up and, and you kind of hear his varying opinion, uh, you know, every few weeks being that he's on that platform as well and his take on things. So uh, my point to bringing that up is I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see his next appearance on that. To, to get his personal take on, on where he's at with his contract negotiations. But it, it looks like he's definitely staying in Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, here you kind of hit on the point that I was going to bring up here. Um, so all this, it, he was on Pat McAfee, I believe, yesterday. Okay, like he always is. I'm, I'm assuming it wasn't newsworthy or he just wasn't on this week. All this news comes out today. It sits around for hours. He comes out and refutes it. Now we're all going to have to wait until next Monday when he's going to be on Pat McAfee most likely to <laughs> yeah. find any. I fucking hate this guy. I'm tired of him. He's a fucking egomaniac. He's a goof. I don't care how good he is. I'm over it. I can't wait till next year if this is all true where they pay him $50 million, have to franchise uh, Devontae Adams, which by the way, they did today. So that means if they don't you know, configure a new contract for him, he's getting paid $20 million. And all, let's all remember before this last season, he wanted to have input in moves that they make. And because, you know, he wants to win a fucking another Super Bowl. Well, I'm sure you between two players making around $70 million next year, that's going to make the Packers a lot better as they have to cut half of their fucking team to be able to fill the roster spots. But that's what I mentioned. How, how balanced but, can you be, no, Ed? But it's not about winning. Let's just be, it's not about winning with Aaron Rodgers. It's about what we're doing now. I don't care. Just talk about me constantly. Fawn over me. Talk about how good I am. Talk about how this team would fail if I'm not here. And how other shitty teams could get me and we'd go to the fucking Super That's all this dude wants. I hate that we're talking about him. I understand why we have to. I'm fucking tired of this dude. Completely exhausted of Aaron Rodgers at this point. And, and just to surmise it, hey, Ed, in your opinion, do you think it's 99, 90, 50%. What, what are you thinking that, that he's going to stick with Green Bay? A hundred, hundred percent. There you go. I just, that's, I just, that's where I see it. I don't know if the contract details that we've heard are correct. I could see those. That's, that's what's I think. Bit. Yeah. Holding it up. Right. Um, because I think just common sense would tell you that this deal might be right, but that first year he's going to get a lower cap. Hit. I don't see them. He was supposed to make 41, um, according to this deal, he'd make around 50 per year. I don't think I think they're gonna do it where it's loaded on the back end 
And it's kind of like this, like next year, he might get like a $20 million hit because they really need to do some shit to get this team together. Otherwise, none of this makes any sense at all. Right. You're just signing a, a huge quarterback and receiver tandem. And then the whole rest of your team is is yeah. kind of up in the air with with very little cap room and, and and money to throw around. And and on top of it too, again, I gave Aaron Rodgers his his props as far as his play went the last couple of years in the twenty and twenty one seasons. But he's still getting up there, man. He's been around for a while. We we mentioned that he he kind of at the beginning of his career being behind Brett Favre got kind of a breather as far as beating up his body in comparison to, to guys of his generation that we mentioned, like your Ben Roethlisberger's and Eli Manning's and, and all that. But nonetheless, he's still getting up there in age as well. So uh, yeah, this is, this is a lot of money to be thrown at this guy uh, to stick in green Bay from the Packers. And one thing that nobody's talking about here, and I'm not debating that Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback because he, he's one of the best of all time. Yeah, you said it. You put him in your top five when we talked yes. about that. And, and I hate him. So the two, that says two a lot. <laughs> quarterbacks in my top five, I fucking hate both of them. Loathe both of them. But what has he done the last two seasons? Right. I mean, they, they haven't won any big games like as well, far as postseason. But what did he win the last two seasons? MVP. You think he's going to win a third? I'm sure that's what he's going to go for, and, and, and that's one of the you know probably leveraging points that he has is that he was the NFL MVP back to back years, and these you know going straight into these contract negotiations. Yeah, and I don't believe I might be wrong on this. There's not a name that sticks out specifically, so I'm pretty confident in saying this just without looking it up. I don't think there's ever been three somebody that's won it three straight years. Um, he's not any different than the rest of the people that have ever played the game. You're really putting a lot of money on the fact that he's going to do something again that uh, even Aaron Rodgers probably can't do on a worse team. I was going to say that's that's a great point. That's what I was going to mention as we're discussing with the money being thrown around specifically in Green Bay to lock in both Aaron Rodgers and and you know their top receiver it's like you know you got to be balanced we know that in pittsburgh like we have studs scattered throughout our team but that that doesn't get you the playoff wins yeah it doesn't and then now moving on to the other side here let's say that this does go through the the deal with seattle and and denver um i guess first up what do you think and now we know the other people that are leaving denver as well as the picks and everything if that would happen um do you see Denver as being significantly better with, with Russell Wilson? Do you think that they're going to still need to do other stuff? Like, what, What's your feeling about the Denver Broncos with him starting as quarterback? I think 100% they're going to have to do some other stuff. They have a def- decent defense, decent enough, but nothing that's you know going to be top 10, in, in my opinion, at this point, just talking specifically on the defense with both sides of the ball in mind here. And then, you know, offensively, you got some 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 young guys that are that are pretty decent in Denver. Uh, I, I kind of reference our power rankings. Hey, Ed, that's why we do it. We watch the NFL week in and week out and talk about it right here on the What's Roll podcast during the regular season, you know, th- throughout the season every year. So we're watching consistently. And I bring that up because the Broncos were right in the middle of the pack, you know, right in like my late teens, early 20s of rankings out of 32 teams most of the year. So that being said, is Russell Wilson going to change them that much overall as a team? He's definitely bringing, you know, especially if they do the whole 
as we we love to to promote when they do it in Seattle, which was kind of hit or miss, but let Russ cook. Yeah. If they have a particular game plan for him, I mean, he could do some shit. That's for sure, and that's why they're gonna you know sign this blockbuster deal. But to answer your question, and again, breaking it out loud and thinking what I know of the Broncos, uh, like you say, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Now, th- this is just something neat. Let me ask you four questions here, the Jay. Uh, so if he goes to Denver, who's the Broncos starting quarterback next year? Or the the Seattle? No, no, no. If this trade happens, who will be the starting quarterback of the Broncos next year? Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Sorry. See, trick questions to the Jay head. Russell Wilson. Who's the starting quarterback next year for the Chargers? Herbert. Who's the starting quarterback for the Chiefs? Mahomes. Gotcha. And that who's division. the starting Good quarterback call. for the Raiders? That's up in the air, right? It's it Derek looks, Carr right now. Yes. That's all in the same division, bro. Right. Yeah. I see what you're getting to. Yeah. That that is bonkers. Period. That's that's gonna be tremendous to see that. The now, quarterback division. Now Seattle, I mean, there's no other way to go about this. They're completely rebuilding then. Um, they should probably move as many assets as they have. I did hear that Bobby Wagner, their middle linebacker, a first ballot Hall of Famer, is going to move. I When I heard this, I'm like, dude, if Bobby Wagner's available, the Steelers need to at least make that fucking phone call. Oh, I agree. Yeah, see Big what they time. can maybe work out. Yes, because yeah. th- now that's a dude who is up there in years two, but probably has right. a good two to three years left in him, probably at a very high level. I would happily take that chance if I was Pittsburgh. I don't know how much they'd be asking for him. Um, I don't know his current contract, how many years he has left or or anything like that. You would have to think that that's at least a strong possibility for for Pittsburgh, who's been trying to have that type of player at middle linebacker since Ryan Shazier's injury. It doesn't look like Devin Bush is working out. Joe Schobert's most likely not going to be here. That's a good way to shore it up to have, all right, bring back Devin Bush and then Bobby Wagner's in there. Like, that. I'm good with that. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of up in the air because we're kind of all over the place with priorities right now. Like, we know that we need the offensive line. And and, and just to your point, hey, Ed, like Wagner, definitely, if they could maybe work something out for at least this this coming year, I mean, it's it's would be great. You know, we'll have to see how, how that develops. But just talking about the overall situation in Pittsburgh in the offseason here and, and talking about, you know, it's a great place to and segue to bring this up with – looking like completely off the board is now two possible options that people put up there for the Pittsburgh uh, starting quarterback position, of course, being Aaron Rodgers and a possible Russell Wilson. They're off the board now. So now you're talking about maybe a Mitchell Trubisky, maybe what you have championed since day one. Hey, Ed, I'll give you that, a a Marcus Mariota, or or you're going for a rookie draft pick. You know, a lot of people are still Mm. throwing around former Pitt quarterback picket. Because Jamis Winston is out there, another Winston's one. out there, and then and like I mentioned, Derek Carr. Uh, I don't know if he still might be a possibility or not. I know his name's been thrown out there, but as of now, we are still looking realistically, and anything could happen. A lot of time, Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins <laughs> sitting yeah. as our quarterback options. So uh, just full circle there, you know, bringing up you know the possibility of bringing in Wagner. You know, it still goes back to that, uh, especially with the talk of. Uh, like I mentioned, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson uh, being 
eating up here with with huge contracts and blockbuster deals. Absolutely. One more NFL note that I wanted to bring up this show here before we move on to the next topic, basically, is the NFL has announced that it has suspended Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley for at least uh, the 2022 season for betting on games. Uh, It came out that he not only uh, bet NFL games, but he also bet on the Falcons to win those games. Um, He did not play in those games either. He was out with an injury. Um, And it said that, you know, he said on Twitter that he does not have a gambling problem and he bet a total of $1,500. So now I say that it is kind of a gambling problem when you think of it this way, because the dude uh, for a $1,500 bet is now suspended for a full season, which he would have made $11 million. So it sounds like to me that's quite a losing bet. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot being thrown around in this story with the status of Ridley's mental health as well. So, you know, I, I do want to preamble that if, if he does have issues, it's like, you know, you, you got to get the help you need if that's the case. And, and that's going to be your excuse, because uh, I guess he was tweeting uh, this past Monday uh, regarding the 1500 bet total in the suspension. And he said, quote, I don't have a gambling problem. And then would later tweet that he couldn't even watch football at the time he made the bets. But that becomes more stupid when you're backpedaling like that, hey, Ed, in public. And it's like, I don't have a gambling problem and I couldn't even watch football at the time. Then why the fuck are you even doing that? It's like, come on. And he went on to say, I'm going to be more healthy when I come back. I know I was wrong, but I'm getting one year LOL. Yeah. Okay. Well, dude, let's see how it is in a year. If anybody's even interested in your talents, if they're willing you to pay anything close to what you were going to make this year anyway, and you're a fucking liability automatically, you're going to be a lightning rod to whatever team brings you in. Like they're, they're signing the fucking gambling dude. Um, some people in the NFL, as far as players go, aren't worth the trouble. And exactly. I feel like that's where he, it, this is not like, dude, if you're Aaron Rodgers, you could do this shit. If you're fucking Patrick Mahomes, you could do this shit. Uh, like we said, even years ago, even though he's, you know, it's different now, he was a goof, but you're Antonio Brown. You can kind of do this kind of shit. This dude, nah, you were good. You're not great. You're not really making a big difference on a team. Like what do you, you know, how many teams are going to be fighting over you? Unless you're fine with going and playing a year for, for the giants or something, then knock yourself out. Hey, maybe we'll be seeing you, uh, Ridley and what we've talked about the past couple of weeks, the USFL will pop up. But yeah, one of the other crazy things about this story, hey Ed, I'm sure you saw this, but the NFL determined that Ridley placed multi-leg parlay bets involving three, five, and eight teams that included the Falcons, the team he plays for. So he's yep. betting on his own team. And they, they did go on to say that they, they don't believe that any game was compromised in any way. Uh, they did do an investigation in the NFL and under, uncovered no evidence that Ridley did use inside information or anything like that. But, yeah, it, it's still crazy. And, and again, like it, it's another one of these situations that, that we talk of when, when the news breaks in, in major ways and we bullshit about it here on the What's Roll podcast and our Variety Hour and things like that. And to to have the excuses instead of just owning it, that's what kills me. Again, I go back to him saying, you know, that he doesn't have a gambling problem and tweeting about not even being able to watch football at the time he made the bets. Like, then why even do it? So, like, you're just sounding, you're just digging a deeper hole, in my in my opinion. Sometimes the J, it's just better to say nothing. Exactly, that's true too. Uh, but one of those instances is not right now because we're going to carry on here on the show. And if we stop talking, you stop listening. So we don't want that. 
Uh, two quick follow-up things from last week. Uh, and this was really weird because <laughs> it's like you report something on the show and then like we find out after the show has been recorded that some things have changed. And then you guys are listening to the show, hopefully on Friday when it when it drops. And it's like we sound like we're fucking eons in the past at this point. But it is what it is. So uh, it's time to kind of correct ourselves here. Uh, not so much us, but uh, last week we talked in great detail about uh, a news story uh, where LVMH Corporation is looking to purchase Ralph Lauren. Uh, in that story, we kind of talked about a few other topics, one of them being how Nike is pulling out of all of its products from Foot Locker. Uh, that is not the case. Um, it was a misinterpreted story uh, in general. Uh, Foot Locker remains as Nike's most important retailer partner as they project 55% of their business from Nike is going to be in the fourth quarter. Uh, in previous years, my understanding is that 75% of all the business going on in Foot Locker stores was Nike. Uh, they actually announced that moving forward, no brand would be able to have more than 65%. Um, so Nike is not leaving uh, what they're doing here. They're just cutting back a little bit. Uh, we've talked about this for a while. N Nike is dying to go direct to consumer, and they will most likely, but they're not doing it yet. Um, it still benefits them to deal with certain retailers, so that story kind of has been debunked to some degree. They're carrying less Nike, but they're not getting rid of it completely. They're not getting rid of all of it. Yeah, it all it all makes sense. And like you said, man, it's, it's going to be... Uh, well-paced thing for Nike to do what they need to do with their foothold. But as we talk about when, when we bring up these conglomerates and these big corporations, they obviously know what they're doing and, and they're going to make the, the moves that are going to make them the most money. And, and that's, that's what it's at. And like you said, the, the whole end game as, as we can kind of predict, Hey Ed is, is like you mentioned, just the direct to consumer route. But, but for now, they're still making a good penny with Foot Locker, so they're not going to remove all their stuff. They're just kind of making some some business moves here. And we, we blame Forbes. You know, throw the, again, talking yeah. about the big corporations. Throw, throw Forbes under the bus for the misinformation. But it is what it is, and, that, and that's what happens. You know, you do a weekly podcast. That just shows you in the modern age that we live just how fast everything happens in the media. And, and with, you know, I always go back to, like, the technology aspects of everything, how many things can change you know, from day to day, let alone a week, but it is what it is. And those are our talking points. And that's why, you know, it's a good thing to, to bring it up and, and get everything, you know, up to present and up to speed where things are at. And, and, you know, that's where Nike is with Foot Locker right now, not a hundred percent out, but kind of making some maneuvers here to eventually, you know, go through their master plan that, that we're kind of seeing here with the straight to consumer kind of take on it. And also, uh, the story that we brought up last week about LVMH purchasing Ralph Lauren, it came out since then. Uh, this is according to Hypebeast.com, uh, that the acquisition deal is reported unlikely. Um, they're apparently in some sort of talks to, uh, to acquire Ralph Lauren. Um, it's not surprising because they've recently purchased, for example, like Tiffany and Company. Um, but uh, the story has generated a lot of conversation in the fashion world. And it's been noted that Ralph Lauren operates under a different branch of fashion business than LVMH. Uh, the publication also indicates that uh, the company's 82-year-old executive chairman and chief creative officer has never communicated a clear succession plan, nor has ever commuted any interest in selling. Um, sometimes these stories are planted um, to get people talking, 
or to potentially put out there for a company a deal that they would like to happen, uh, or at least to put out there that the interest is there. So it seems unlikely, but it, it regardless of what happens, this is going to be a long time down the road if it happens at all. Yeah, and, and we mentioned it all goes down to Ralph Lauren himself. You know, he's 82 now, and this is his legacy. So I, I when we were talking about it last week, I just thought there was something fishy with it. I I just don't didn't completely see it. But again, I'm not, I'm very far off from being involved in in having my finger on the pulse of a situation like this, but from from our knowledge and what we read in in research and kind of fundamentally know, I still just in my gut had that feeling that, you know, Ralph Lauren at 82 years old, I don't see him turning this over to LVMH, you know, and, and, and mainly regarding his legacy. And, and there's a lot of good points in this article with, with our reference article on, on Hypebeast had where they're mentioning the high-end luxury that LVMH is known for in comparison to Ralph Lauren. That's basically kind of more middle, middle range as, as far as like profiting and, and what their products cost. And that's what's so funny on a personal level. And you and I talk about our, our fashion and, and our love for it and how we kind of look at, at the fashion game and and you're a big polo guy and and I mentioned last week as well like the J is too but but hey Ed's like a huge polo fan and it's just funny in this that Ralph Lauren being known as this kind of mid-range brand and compared to Louis Vuitton, Dior, Gucci, Saint Laurent, all that kind of stuff. How funny is it that it's just like yeah Ralph Lauren stuff is is significantly cheaper than these other high-end luxury brands and as me and you know Ralph Lauren's polo is expensive as shit for well, for our middle class asses, you know. Dude, there's a lot of people out there that might not realize this, but Ralph Lauren does have it's it's the Ralph Lauren purple label. The pur- um, yeah, there is the that, purple label. That's, that's a good all point. A, that's all Italian made, handmade stuff. Like really, like that's really on the price level of stuff like Louis Vuitton and shit. Right. Like it's that. it's just the majority um, of Ralph yeah, Lauren's products are within the mid range price point. Well, there's a difference in this stuff. Like Ralph Lauren is not in the same category as high fashion European brands. They're just not. And it's not not better or worse or otherwise. It's just high fashion stuff is not for everybody. It's never going to be for everybody. It's not made for everybody. When a company like Ralph Lauren makes a whole myriad of, it's a lifestyle brand. It's not just clothing. They make fucking blankets and candles and all kinds of shit. Um, so it is different. And plus the thing is too, and this is what the, the most ridiculous thing is. It's why I don't care about it otherwise. And I'm not built to be wearing European brand. I'm not built like a European man. I'm American. Um, <laughs> a lot, like a lot of that shit is like one and done. Like you're paying a lot of money for a shirt that really is only fashionable for three months out of one year. Legitimately. And I what you're paying things- for that shirt, three grand. Yeah, for, for and, like that one yes, time wear. <laughs> yes, that's what it is. And it's and I purchase clothing that is kind of timeless. Like I'm not going to look like an idiot wearing it when I'm 60. <laughs> so Right. It's just a different it's you know, I'm not going to go grocery shopping in Gucci because that's flashy, it's annoying, it's frankly insulting to a lot of the people around you. Um, it, I mean, not, not only that, but I can't fucking afford that shit, nor do I care to, even if I could, but it just is what it is. It's a completely different, it would be like Nike buying Skechers. It's like, wait, what? Like this doesn't, and I'm not saying that Ralph Lauren is Skechers. It's just two brands that don't make sense together. It's, in any it's different. 
Right. And that goes back to, to last week, kind of breaking the story when it did break. I, I, like I was mentioning, I, I thought there was something kind of weird about it. And this follow-up uh, kind of proves my gut was correct, where it doesn't appear that this is going to be any sort of a real deal. Exactly. So we are about a half hour or so here into the show, and we are coming up on a massive wrestling area. Uh, so it, because there's been so much stuff that's happened in the last week or so. Um, so it seemed like we talked about this about a week or so on the show about Cody Rhodes uh, leaving AEW to go to WWE. Uh, word is that that has fizzled out, and it seems like Cody is more and more likely not to go to WWE. It's been rumored um, that he's going to be part of a new project, which we can get into here. But Tony Khan has announced that he has purchased Ring of Honor Wrestling um, so that's great. He owns apparently all of their stuff, literally from the video library to the rings to you name it. He purchased the company straight out. Um, so a lot of people are wondering if Cody Rhodes is going to be going to be kind of a linchpin in the new ring of honor that has not been confirmed yet. Um, so that was a huge news story and we're going to come back to that because we have a few other things. Me and the Jay are going to talk a little bit more in detail about that news. So that broke. Um, also, a lot of people are saying that Stone Cold is returning to wrestle at WrestleMania against Kevin Owens. It seems like he is coming to do something and word is uh, that it was released today that he's just going to be part of a KO show. So there's no match happening. There's probably going to be a fucking altercation. He's probably going to stunner him and drink beers and all that kind of shit. But he's not wrestling. And we kind of even said that. Like, don't expect this to be a wrestling match because it's not going to happen. So that was announced as well. Um, Vince McMahon was on Pat McAfee last week. Had a huge interview that a lot of people were talking about. And it also seems at this point that Jeff Hardy is going to be going to AEW. So before we get into the details of the Ring of Honor stuff, the Jay, what do you think about all this stuff, man? We can hit on a little a little bit on all of it, but like what's your line of thinking as far as all these breaking stories this week? That's what I was going to open up with. It is a great grandiose time to be a professional wrestling fan here mm -hmm. as we sit in 2022, man. Like, you know, we said uh, us diehards and hardcore fans, you know, we age ourselves on the show all the time. We've been watching since kids, all that stuff into it. We had to go through some, some pretty damn tough viewership years, if you will, all the way, you know, going back to the pandemic year of no wrestling for a slight time period, then into the no audience era that was just really tough, you know, tough for everybody. Obviously it was what it was, you know, because of the situation that we're globally in nonetheless, a lot of things to get through. And then like so many things, man, you get through the hard times and, and like roller coasters and cyclical situations. We're in a point with the cycle that is super interesting and a million different things going on here. Uh, off the bat, the news of Tony Khan buying ROH is, is great. Uh, it, it gives ROH new life. That's what we were hoping for. And, and it's even better than we had hoped. Hey, Ed, we were just thinking, you know, maybe Sinclair will, will hold on to it, put some more money into it just to keep it going kind of thing. This is a whole new ball game with Tony Khan owning it now, owning it now and with all the IPs. Because, of course, you're talking all the spinoff stuff that goes with the IP of the 20 plus year history of ROH, not only the talent, which I would say is the biggest priority and the top thing you're getting, but the history of it and then 
one thing that you and I were speculating on had with this off air when it was first announced was the fact that Tony Khan was kind of shopping around the idea of having a streaming service, but he's running a company that's only on its third year that kind of just started. You know, he's only two full years of, of AEW content. Now that changes as far as the streaming service goes. If it's an AEW slash ROH streaming service. And, and again, the, the classic matches and the history of ROH to, to be incorporated into some semblance of a streaming service hand in hand with the owner of AEW, just all kinds of, it just opens a whole frontier. Uh, and we'll get into other stuff ahead, but I could go on and on because like you said, it's a huge amount of news just since the last time we re-recorded and it is just a great time to be a pro wrestling fan and, and we'll just go through this, man. But like you said, my initial take, I'm excited. All right, so let's get to the least interesting thing of these, uh, at least to us. We talked about this uh, somewhat off the air. Um, the Pat McAfee interview with Vince McMahon, um, not very telling. It is always kind of interesting to see Vince talking like in that type of environment. Um, but, you know, Pat McAfee works for him. I wasn't expecting it to be some groundbreaking thing, but I guess, I, I mean, it is a little bit of a testament to Vince himself. Uh, anytime he shows up on something, people get excited. They think it's going to be interesting. They don't get to see Vince McMahon uh, in a normal capacity, I guess, is the best way I could explain that uh, very often. They said that was his first sit-down interview since the Bob, the infamous Bob Costas interview that he did, where you know Costas was purposefully, you know, especially in his prime, you know, Costas knew how to get an interview. He's not going to do some cookie cutter stuff. Definitely pushed Vince's buttons, and to the point that Vince pretty much was physically threatening threatening Bob Costas. Nothing came of it to to that point, but. Nonetheless, that's 20 plus years. Again, a lot of time between now and him just popping up randomly on the Pat McAfee show to do a sit down, sit down interview. So that's why it was very interesting. But again, that's one of those things I think with 20 years of build up and somebody like me, like you mentioned, hey, I just knowing how rare it is to have Vince in that kind of capacity. I, I think it was just overhyped for, for myself. Uh, yeah. I will say, and 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 again, it was it was definitely interesting. I mean, I was glued to it. I, I watched it on YouTube. I didn't watch it live. Watched it on YouTube, but uh, I thought it was was pretty interesting. But at the end of it, I kind of looked back and was like, yeah, but nothing really, you know, because because again, they did a thing on Raw leading into it with a vignette kind of situation where Vince McMahon's in a storyline with Austin Theory, and Austin Theory kind of his character, I should say, alluded to maybe messing around with his interview and, and causing the rumored possible match between McAfee and Vince McMahon at WrestleMania. And none of that happened. He just did kind of a normal interview, which again was interesting, but due to the content of it. And, and, and like you mentioned with Pat McAfee working for him and stuff, it wasn't going to be anything groundbreaking. Uh, you know, there was some bullet point stuff like him, him bringing up, the competition and in name AEW and everything. And, and Vince, Vince kind of quickly pivoting the other way, pivoting the other way and just saying, I, you know, I always like a, a fight, you know, kind of thing. I so like yeah, confrontation, confrontation. Yeah. So nothing again. Yeah. It was nothing that you would have hoped for that. Like, man, like I can't believe Vince went there or anything. That was the well, unfortunate side of that. And then he did offer McAfee to have a match at WrestleMania. If he wanted one, he said, of course, and on that Monday Night Raw, it was announced that it would be Austin Theory. <sighs> Great. Yeah. Um, 
It, dude, there was also a big MSG show over the weekend for WWE, and a lot of people were super excited because Brock Lesnar was defending against a mystery opponent that, by the way, ended up Austin being Theory. Austin Theory. <laughs> yeah. um, wow. Dude, Vince thinks this dude's a way bigger deal than he is. Uh, it's it's weird. But uh, what do you think about the Stone Cold stuff, the Jay? Do you... Uh, uh, it, it, is this kind of what you expected? Because I think, like, we were even talking about it. Like, maybe he would wrestle if Vince came to him with a ridiculous amount of money. Um, but we both really didn't think that he would. But, like, at least as far as I go, this is kind of what I was expecting. Right. Yeah, we, we broke it down in previous podcasts. So I'm not going to diatribe. But we, we mentioned listening to Austin's uh, own podcast over the years, how he said, you know, it took him three three years plus just to shake professional wrestling for 30 years and being on the road and that whole lifestyle it took him three whole years to really get back to normal. And as he himself put it back to be civilian life, you know, the pro wrestling circus is a whole other lifestyle. And, and especially the era that stone cold came up in. I mean, it's just ingrained in you with a career like that. I didn't see him opening that can of worms to, to kind of like, you know, have a match and, and start maybe even thinking about doing something like it just wasn't going to happen. You know, and, and we kind of put some scenarios together like he could have possibly been in a tag match where they kind of turned things around at the storyline and he was actually tagging with Owens or maybe he teamed up with somebody against Owens and then didn't have to do that much in a tag match. But through it all, we're kind of seeing what this really is going to be. They announced that he's just going to be a guest on the KO show. So Austin himself did release a statement. Hey, Ed, I don't know if you caught it. Yeah, but like a promo. Yeah, he basically said, you know, they could call the KO show a match, a fight, a brawl. Either way, he plans to open one last can of whoop ass on Owens at Mania. Uh, you know, basically going on to say that 19 years uh, ago, he had his last match and set everything up. But now, you know, like you mentioned, it was basically a promo where he's saying like, Kevin Owens opened this up again into him. So now, you know, he's going to go and open a can of whoop ass on him. But again, it goes right into what we had assumed was going to happen anyway. It's not going to be a match. It's just going to be kind of like a, a big segment with them, which again, will still be cool. It's, it's kind of what we anticipated. You'll have the big Austin entrance at Jerry world, you know, in Dallas home crowd. Owens is, is being a good heel against Texas. Obviously they're building that up. So it's going to be a fun segment, but all that speculation of, of Austin coming back for another match can be put to bed. And now of course the news of Cody Rhodes, um, Dude, this is weird. Uh, I'm just speculating here. Obviously, I don't know anything on the inside. Um, this is the kind of situation, like, ever hear the J, don't work yourself into a shoot? Oh, yeah. Because I think that's what's going on here. I think that he tried to leverage his situation with WWE by trying to get a really big deal uh, from AEW. That didn't work. Uh, I don't think the WWE deal was quite what he wanted either. And he's starting to see that his value is not as high as he expected it to be. Uh, I don't know if I believe the Ring of Honor stuff either. Um, I do think we will see Cody somewhere soon enough. Uh, maybe WWE. I don't know. But I think he's just kind of floating out there right now. And there's not a ton of, like, he's not a in-demand property. He's good. I'm not saying that he's a, he's a piece of shit. Nobody should sign this dude because he sucks. But... He thinks he's a hotter commodity than he is, and I think we're kind of seeing that right now. I feel like that window of opportunity was missed, too, for the WWE. It should have been a thing. If he was going to do it, they should have did their best, which is so hard nowadays. I get it, and this is complete hypothetical and speculation. 
But if he would have just jumped right over, signed the deal, and then, like we were saying, hey, at AEW's the one doing all the old school big surprises and things that we missed, mm-hmm. you know, after the monopoly of the WWE run of the last 20 years, you know, and, and WWE doesn't do that stuff anymore. So that, I feel, is what would have really caught him fire in the WWE if all of a sudden, before all the speculation started, it's like, oh my God, AEW's yep. Cody Rhodes is in WWE. Now that window has closed. Uh, there's still things that they could do pretty cool with him if he is going to go the WWE route. Like we mentioned, I'm not saying that that's going to be his best decision, but there's so many things going against the WWE deal. Uh, again, it's all rumors for what for what it is, but we had mentioned that they're not, they had no interest in his wife, Brandy. So that that has to be a big thing. They, I'm sure. Again, it's a, it's a rumor thing. I don't know what the truth is. Throw that asterisk out there. But I, I heard from, from varying different you know, pretty top tier social media wrestling news sites that WWE gave him a, a you know statement on his tat. He, he, Cody Rhodes has a neck tattoo, and they like wanted him to cover that, like things like that. But that's yeah. my my point to even bring that up though, hey Ed, because it's a stupid little thing, but it's what him going back to WWE would do. He you know yeah. he had he had this creative control. He was a freaking exec in AEW. Now he's passed on that to go to WWE and and already they would, again, even if it's complete horse shit, that's something that they would do. Like, dude, you got to cover up your tattoo, you know? And now he's just like, oh, what did I get myself into? Well, and don't forget, he left the WWE because he felt like he could be a bigger star elsewhere. Right. And then he goes to a company essentially where he has booking power and he books himself as a fucking mid Carter. So like, how much value do you think you're going to have? You're not 20. You know what I mean? Like, you better be fucking established. Like, do you think that they want WWE's going to pick off mid-carders from AEW? Or do they want Kenny Omega? Right. You know, it just is what it is. It's weird, but, you know, like, he kind of painted himself into this corner. Yeah, I mean, in truth, if they can, you know, if the WWE negotiations are going to kind of fall through, if, again, it's, it's so much easier said than done to keep things mum in, you know, today's modern age but if they could do something like they're doing legit and that he never left aew and do something cool with that but you know like you said man i don't i don't know it's looking like it's kind of up in the air on cody rose true future here and one more aew note before we get into the ring of honor stuff uh fightful select is reporting that jeff hardy has not only just signed with AEW, but he is set to be at uh, this Wednesday, March 9th episode of AEW Dynamite, which has not happened yet as we record. Um, so this obviously isn't a spoiler because you guys can't listen till Friday. So maybe he did show up on Dynamite this week. But I think that it's kind of a, a poorly kept secret. I've been kind of expecting Jeff to come here as soon as his contract was up with WWE. He didn't finish out that contract. He was actually released. So Jeff's coming in and I don't, uh, you know, I expect that. I, I, I'm i not the biggest Jeff Hardy fan. I don't know how much he has left in the tank at this point. Um, but I understand it. They're going to bring him in. He's a big name. He, they're going to do another run with the Hardy Boys most likely. So, like, I get it. Yeah, that's they were, they were making kind of a, an online list of, of their dream matches again. You know, the Hardys kind of did that when they were running rampant on the indie scene before the creation of, of AEW and, and just going through any – 
pretty much top tier tag team that wasn't involved in the WWE. And that was, that was a cool time period. You know, that's when the, the young bucks kind of first came back from, to, from Japan and things like that and had all those great matches with the Hardys. So now after a couple years there, there's kind of a, another slate to kind of go through, you know? So there's definitely some potential there, especially with the tag team, but first and foremost, man, honestly, dude, just being a fan of wrestling and a, a compassionate person, you just hope that Jeff Hardy's demons are in check because, again, the, the whole thing happened uh, of his release from WWE following, quote-unquote, the erratic behavior but, at that live event. But you know that was all bullshit, though, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, what was the deal with that? That was part that, of... Well, they, they said that he failed a drug test. He didn't. They were wrong. Uh, they offered him a spot in the Hall of Fame to come back. Yeah, I did he hear said, that. He turned that down. Fame. He yeah. just he wants out of there. Like, yeah, period. he does because I I did you know I did catch some social media videos that the Hardys have done and Jeff Hardy like specifically said fuck WWE. So you know obviously yeah. he's kind of burning that bridge for now. Even though you know you know speaking of full full circle on the podcast that interview with Vince McMahon on Pat McAfee's show Vince. Uh, did comment on, you know, keeping the door open to pretty much anybody, you know, kind of saying like, why close it? Uh, there's always a, a chance kind of thing. And dude, so there was one thing he did say in that interview about the, the superstars that have been released were them cutting dead weight. Yeah. And yeah. That, that was, yeah. Within the same thing I was talking about. Yeah. Somebody brought this up on Twitter that I saw, forgive me. I don't remember who posted this. This was a while ago. They said, if you're not Roman Brock, Charlotte, Becky, or Ronda Rousey, Vince doesn't give a fuck about or, you. Or Austin You're, Theory. <laughs> well, yeah, for now, uh, you know, Vince gets, he likes his shiny new toys and then he just fucking throws them away. Um, but that's true. They're, outside of those five people, maybe a Seth Rollins mixed in there too. Like Vince will get rid of you. Everybody else is expendable to him. Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, like you mentioned in the reference article on WrestleTalk states, Jeff Hardy's seemingly inevitable AEW debut has been one of the worst kept secrets in wrestling since his WWE release on December 9th. So uh, the wait looks like it's finally over. Uh, and we, we've been saying Tony Khan and AEW have been nailing how they bring people in and stuff. So it's it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with the introduction of Jeff Hardy if he is 100% going to AEW. So, but, but like you mentioned, hey, Ed, I'm all for it just to see what happens. And it goes into all this stuff we're talking about. And as I said on the outset of, of it being a great time to be a wrestling fan, you know, now Jeff Hardy maybe being a part of AEW. And, and it goes into something as a topic that we've talked about numerous times with AEW because we'll get into it, but there was more guys signed at this past uh, AEW's revolutionary uh, pay-per-view. When is too much guys too much or does Tony Khan have a, a plan on how he's signing all these people? And speaking of that, with him purchasing Ring of Honor, uh, my understanding is that there are no employees as of right now. Everybody's contract did expire. Uh, I understand that he's currently speaking with the Briscoes and Jonathan Gresham to be part of the new Ring of Honor because they are the tag champs and the ROH champion. Uh, the women's champion is actually an impact. It's Deanna Perrazzo, so I don't know what the deal is going to be there, if they're going to take the belt off her, if they're going to bring her in. I have no idea. Um, so just on the surface here, knowing what we know, uh, what do you think about the roster, the J? Because my sort of thinking is you're going to see – them bring in, like I said, like Grisham, the Briscoes, you know, maybe a couple other familiar names from Ring of Honor, 
And then they're going to fill out the rest of the roster with guys on dark and things like that and try and give these guys a place to kind of work programs and do things as opposed to just having matches on, you know, whenever they do tapings. Yeah, I, I see Tony Khan's purchase of Ring of Honor as if he just bought his developmental system in a okay. lot of ways, you know, and it, it's again, there's so many different options they have with owning the Ring of Honor IP. And now he has this entire roster, you know, the ROH programming, the live shows, the pay-per-view, everything that comes with it to to kind of develop like almost like how NXT was in its prime to WWE, you know, where NXT at one point, we, we were talking about, you know, a couple years ago where it's like you have Raw and SmackDown and then NXT and NXT was almost becoming an equivalent brand at the peak of it. Yeah. And then of course, as, as we know, Vince kind of pulled the plug on that trips got, you know, had his heart attack and everything is the way it is now with NXT, you know, 2.0 and how Vince is kind of looking to reinvigorate how he develops his young talent that we've been over. So I see ring of honors purchase with Tony Khan being that to AEW where you can also like take uh, Johnny Gargano, for example, and, 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 and like we said, with everybody pointing out that one of the big discrepancies with Ring of Honor is that Tony Khan is signing too much talent. Now with ROH, that's not as much of an issue. Absolutely. And so you can bring in a Johnny Gargano within bringing in all the guys that we'll discuss with the, the, the revolution pay-per-view that were brought in with if Jeff Hardy definitely goes as we were talking about. All these other guys constantly coming in. It's like a revolving door. Johnny Gargano can start off in a Ring of Honor and then he starts coming up he starts getting his footing into, you know, coming from NXT, becomes a huge star down there. Then you can have like him maybe come to AEW or maybe challenge an AEW wrestler, like how they're going to do that with well, the interaction of rosters. So there's there's just so many options. And it's, again, it's just a really cool, interesting time. We've kind of got on Vince's ass in the past when he purchased companies and they did, they, you know, they fucked up the invasion angle. They never ran WCW as a separate show. I believe Tony Khan really learned from that. I feel like these are going to be set up as two separate brands. I do understand that Tony Khan is going to be booking Ring of Honor, which is a bit of a concern because it's eventually you're going to spread yourself out too thin. Right. And Good point. that would be a shame. Uh, but, you know, I'm excited to see what this means, you know, for the future of Ring of Honor. I do not understand what they're doing with their distribution. Uh, I've heard two different things. I've heard they're going to stay on with Sinclair because they could use the programming. And I heard that they don't have the Sinclair slot. I don't know at the time that we record this, which one is the case. Um, but, you know, I don't see anything about this as being really bad. It's probably a really good thing uh, for Ring of Honor. And, you know, I, I have faith that Tony Khan knows what he's doing because he's doing a very good job with, with AEW. So I'm I'm just kind of excited to see where this goes from here. It's, it's yet another good problem to have situation for Tony Khan, like signing all that talent. talent. People could get on him for signing all the talent, but he's signing an amazing guys. And, and you, you, you see the diminishing returns in both arguments where you, know, you can't have 300 people on your roster, even if all of them are unbelievable. You only have so much TV time and, and, and things to do. But again, if you're able to appropriately filter all of that, 
I go back to that. It's a good problem to have, and it's going to be super interesting to see you know what exactly he's able to do with Ring of Honor. So that's why we, you know, like you said, hey, Ed, it goes so fast. It'd be great if we could talk every day, but nonetheless, it's still great to talk every week and have a weekly podcast. We will be here for the development of all this crazy stuff in the wrestling world. Absolutely, the J. So we are up against our very first commercial break. And whenever we come back, me and the J are going to break down the complete card for the AEW Revolution pay-per-view last Sunday night. Uh, fantastic show. We're going to get into it right after this. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. What up, what up, what up, everybody? It's your boy, the J from the What's Real podcast. Would you like to advertise on the What's Real podcast? Hit us up today. We got easy, quick, cheap, and affordable rates, and we have some fun and can do some great ads for you and your bare ass. Hit us up today at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com to advertise on the show of shows today, the Pod Upon Pods. Join us next week on episode 110 of the What's Real Podcast. First up, Hey Ed and the J both have control as we both have surprise mystery segments for each other. Then it's the return of March's Thursday Night Prime here on the What's Real Podcast. We're bringing back the one and only Chuck Norris as he teams up with Lewis Gossett Jr. in Firewalker. This is Timothy James with the What's Real Podcast, here for the 110th episode's Goose or Goose segment. You gotta talk about hilarious goings-ons, like Pete Davidson and the human dildo going into space, and 20 questions about penis enlargements. All that and much more on episode 110 of the What's Real Podcast. Have you ever wanted something more than life itself? Sitting in the dark by yourself, no one asking if you'd like some help. Swimming in the motion like you Michael Phelps, waiting for a sign of And we're back, and it is time to get into some AEW, specifically their Revolution 2022 pay-per-view. Uh, happened March 6th from Orlando, Florida at Edition Financial Arena. Uh, we've been previewing this for a couple weeks. Um, this is a show that I can say that me and the Jay were both extremely excited for. So... Uh, let's just get into what happened on the pre-show uh, first and foremost. We saw Layla Hirsch defeat Chris Statlander by pinfall at 9 minutes and 50 seconds. Hook defeated QT Marshall by submission at 5 minutes. And the House of Black, Malachi Black, Brody King, and Buddy Matthews defeated Pac, Penta, and Eric Redbeard, who just uh, debuted last week on uh, Dynamite. That's, of course, Eric Rowan from WWE. That match went 17 minutes and 20 seconds. First matchup on the pay-per-view saw A. Kingston defeat Chris Jericho by submission at 13 minutes and 40 seconds. The J, I love this fucking match. I think this might be Jericho's best match in AEW. Um, They did so much fun shit in this match. You could tell Eddie's been watching his tapes all Japan. Um, I love the finish on this one. I love, I, I just like the crowd in this one. This match was fucking awesome. Yeah, this was a great time, and kudos to Hey Outstanding Ovation as we preview the show here on the What's Real podcast. Uh, we were split in our predictions. I was thinking, I, like I, I mentioned, Hey Ed, I was, it would have been really cool if Eddie Kingston went over, but I was sticking to Jericho, and you're like, no, dude, I think they're going to give it to, to Eddie. Jericho will put him over, and you were right, uh, Eddie getting the, the big win, which was just icing on the cake, like you said, to an awesome match. 
they they did so many things. The crowd was really into it, really behind Eddie. You know, even Jericho's he's kind of would you say like a tweener at this point with everything that's going on with with the group and everything. And like he yeah. gave the crowd he gave the crowd the finger and got the big booze and stuff. So he was kind of going, you know, back and forth with that. And and mentioned too at this point with Jericho, he he kind of had, you know, and God bless him, he's you know, fifty years old, had kind of of a a goofy 50 year olds build that's traveling the world, not caring as much that he did in the past about his body and, and doing all those fucking Fozzie shows and shit, you know, kind of had a goofy build, but now got pretty, pretty slimmed down where, where even people on stupid ass social media were saying he got ab implants, which he had pretty <laughs> funny re- reactions to, which is like ludicrous, but, but yeah, you know, got, got in shape for this one. And then dude, I had a blast with this and it just like, like anything had, and you know, this, the openers, set the tone for a pay-per-view they truly do and and this set the tone to what we'll be going through is such a varied and cool and awesome overall pay-per-view experience but what a great official opener and kudos to jericho to put kingston over because like like i mentioned even in the preview i i was hoping for it just didn't think it might you know would happen and it did and that was so cool to see eddie get the win where he was like kind of even like surprised he's like asking the ref like you could read his lips like did i win you yep. know? so yeah great yeah. great opener great match and the deal was that if eddie was able to beat jericho jericho would actually shake his hand and tell him he respected him they tried to do that and jericho just couldn't shake them his off. hand yep. so this is going to continue and I'm, I'm for that because this was really good i want to see where they can go uh with an actual feud and, and i think eddie kind of needs that right now he hasn't really had an actual long lasting feud uh, in AEW, and I think that's kind of where the money is with Eddie. Uh, next up, we saw the three-way for the Tag Team Championships. In 18 minutes and 55 seconds, we saw Jurassic Express defeat Red Dragon and the Young Bucks by pinfall. Uh, we both kind of saw what was coming with this one as far as the finish goes, but dude, what a fucking match this was. Remember we said last week oh, that man. it was very possible that the tag team match could be the best match. Yeah, you called it, it as your sleeper, your dark horse. And, and this is why. Because I know <laughs> all... The, dude, they always have a tag match on their pay-per-views that is just like fucking blow away amazing. This was great. Everybody did their part. The the Bucks are unreal. They they have their you know their flow in the match, and they did all their they got all their shit in, as we say. But the J has to point out his big highlight, and we all know how good he is. Every every guy in this match, all six men are unbelievable. We all know that. But Luchasaurus, man, when he had his good. showcase in there, dude, dude, I was going nuts. I, they're really really good at always showcasing Jungle Boy. Because exactly he's one of the pillars of the company, he deserves it. He's really good, but we know Luchasaurus is also really good. It was nice to see him get his shit this time because it was very impressive. Yeah, my son and I watched the majority of this pay per view together, and man, were we both going nuts for this. That's why I love watching with my kid. You know, him being eight now too, kind of being more aware of of things than even us start last year when he was seven watching this stuff and like that that highlight when. Lucha just went on a tear. We were just going crazy, dude. It was so good. Dude, just I think about that, you putting it in this kind of a perspective. Dude, if I was an eight-year-old kid 
Do you know how much I would fucking love Jurassic he, Express? Dude, my, my son was asking me basically like how he could do that with his size. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, he's just super athletic. What do you want me to say? You can see him doing it. He just he's he's doing it. What can I how yep. can I put it? But that just shows you. Yeah, he's just like, man, that guy's so big. How's he like doing backflips and doing flips over the rope? And oh man, it, it, it was just a cool showcase. And, and like you said, in the and that's just in the midst of all this other stuff. I mean, the Young Bucks did great. Red Dragon, as always, you know, bringing their styles. It was that's the thing too, Hey Ed, which you predicted, which we we both could kind of see. It was just such a a perfect mesh of di- varying styles combined yeah. in this match too between the three teams. And dude, these are all guys. This is six guys here that um, the the way that their talents are, they can wrestle anyone size wise, skill wise. It they can like kind of maneuver themselves into that situation very well and that's kind of wild because you know you're talking about guys like luchasaurus who's a big guy uh of course bobby fish is 45 years old uh the bucks have had tons of mileage on them can still do it and of course jungle boy who is still small you know size wise but he can still he still manages to have really good matches with any kind of talent they put him in there with yeah he's he's like kind of their version of the modern Shawn Michaels-esque for AEW is how I see Jungle Boy, you know, with his look and everything. And, yeah. and, and again, I go back to it. The the finish was the Thoracic Express launch into a powerbomb for the pinfall. And, I love that and, move. Uh, Luchasaurus, you know, getting the win. So that was huge. Yeah, that was awesome. They hit it perfect too. And next up, we had the Face of the Revolution ladder match for a future AEW TNT Championship match. And in 17 minutes and 20 seconds, Wardlow defeated Christian Cage, Keith Lee, Orange Cassidy, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Ricky Starks. This match was a blast. First up, you predicted it perfectly. Uh, That's why I kind of followed up and was like, I agree with you that Jay Wardlow gets the win here. Um, Dude, Orange Cassidy, when he did that thing where like, uh, I think it was Powerhouse Hobbs and Keith Lee were like wrestling the ladder from each other and he had, had it on his head. And he just literally did that thing where he skinned the cat and climbed up on the <laughs> yeah. fucking ladder. To, and, dude, that was amazing. Unfortunately, I heard that he had a legitimate shoulder injury in the match. Um, and that was probably during that move where Keith Lee kind of tossed him into the fucking rampway. Yeah, that was, that was violent. Yeah, he just um, landed on, on the ramp. When Keith Lee and Powerhouse Hobbs both got launched off of the uh, the rampway. The stage. A table on the, yeah, the stage. to the That was insane. From Wardlow. Uh, dude, this, and we're going to get into why, um, this pay-per-view to me was like, uh, let me, I'm not going to put it on this level, but I think you'll know what I mean. This is Wardlow's version of Stone Cold's King of the Ring 96, of Diesel's Royal Rumble 94, of Kane's Royal Rumble, whatever fucking year that was where he tossed a bunch of, like the star making show. There's a standout. This is that show for Wardlow, and and we'll tell you why later on. And that's what I kind of predicted in our last week's prediction, or or two weeks in a row predictions, uh, I should say, on the What's Real podcast, because I, I had the feeling that the time was there. They've been building Wardlow up very well, and with this ladder match, because like I said, too, it's still a big push, obviously, but at the end of the day, this is just for a shot at the TNT title. Which, yep. you know, they, they give people shots at the TNT title because it's one that they 
have defended on the TV show pretty uh, consistently uh, to, to a bunch of people. So it's not like this was, you know, for a main event or anything else. So with Wardlow, where he's at with his character and just the timing of it, I just kind of was able to able to read that. And, and they executed it so well, dude. He looked great. And, and I think uh, he was definitely the right choice that I was thinking. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. So uh, moving right along here. Next up, we have the singles matchup for the AEW TBS Championship. And in six minutes and 50 seconds, Jade Cargill defeated Ty Conti by pinfall. Dude, I've said on this show many times that Jade Cargill is green. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of her. That's really starting to change. Um, she On Dynamite last week, they had this uh, time period where Ty Conti was getting interviewed backstage with Anna Jay. She interrupts it. And she's like, bitch, shut your mouth before I kick you in the face again. Don't nobody give a fuck. Or he's like, she was like, don't nobody give a damn about that karate shit. Yeah. That, yeah. Dude, she's starting to get it in the ring too, where she's getting better. And she's good at those like comments. She doesn't need to cut quick, big promos. That's why Mark Sterling is with her. But she keeps getting those snippets out and they keep exactly. letting her do that kind of stuff. And she goes out and has performances like she is. She's going to be like on a Goldberg thing before you know it. 29 and 0 in AEW is Cargill. So uh, I'm all for her, man. I, I told you, and I, and I definitely get your take, Hey Ed. I know she's green, but just as from a, a star standpoint, yes, like we, we right. always talk about as, you know, we're the hardcore wrestling fans, the layman terms, casual fan to not even a viewer kind of thing. If you just show her to somebody, She's a star. She has the look. I mean, she's just muscular as shit, no body fat, you know, beautiful black lady in, in her way, like just, you know, beautiful package. And one little tidbit, uh, and I'm sure you got a kick out of this too, when she's coming out. So for those that didn't see it for a description, uh, Jade came out in a purposefully Jade from Mortal Kombat character inspired outfit for that her wrestling yeah, match, which was great. And of course, Jim Ross's old goofy ass is like she looks like a superhero and then of course the younger goof that's our age uh excalibur, excalibur. throws in there or 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 a mortal Kombat character <laughs> so i got Dude, a kick out of that with the pop culture shit you know i, I kind of like how she does this i don't know if you saw a couple weeks ago she did an interview where she had a jumpsuit on that had green dollar signs on it and oh people, yeah, and, yeah and somebody on twitter was like looks like Jade stole the Riddler's outfit. And she responded. She was like, who do you think I was supposed to look like? So like <laughs> she's doing a lot of this stuff on purpose. I always, as a wrestling fan, get a kick out of people when they do a lot of different stuff with their gear. Yeah, and the she, homages. She is the antithesis of that in this company. She seems to do it more often than just about anybody. And dude, you know this as well as I do because I can give you the perfect example of it. Ric Flair realized at one point that wearing them robes was a big deal. Did he just have one, the J? Oh, no. Exactly. That's a star-making thing in the world of professional wrestling, and she definitely seems to understand that very well. Uh, the match wasn't blow-away good, but it was good enough for what it needed to be. She's really starting to head down the right path as far as I can see. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely just a very average match overall. But again, it's just the star power rising of of Jade, and you know, it, it's one of those things where Ty, Ty Conti's you know good for 
her own right. And she, she just she, she just has to stick in there. And you know how pro wrestling is, man. You stick around enough and then you, you get your spot when, when people aren't available or whatever. Yep. Uh, it's not her time. But nonetheless, just wanted to shout out that. But yeah, this was just a showcase for Jade. Next up. This I got to take a quick breath here. <laughs> yeah. In 26 minutes and 45 seconds, CM Punk defeated MJF by pinfall in a dog color match. This match is a perfect example of why I love pro wrestling. This match was fucking amazing. It told such a great story. Both guys bled buckets. And let's start it out here, the J. Me and you have talked about this on the show for a long time. We, we specifically talked about this just a couple of weeks ago here on the show. Me and you have been into Ring of Honor for quite some time. One of those people in Ring of Honor that entire time, which by the way, the first time both of us ever saw CM Punk wrestle was in person. We were huge fans uh, of CM Punk in Ring of Honor. And one of the coolest things uh, during that run was how he would come out to Misery Cantina, I think it's called, uh, by AFI. And MJF comes out for this match, you know, dressed in his robe and shit. And now it's time for Punk to come out. I almost shit my pants because I realized what his theme music was. He came out to AFI dressed in all of his old Ring of Honor shit. And we talked about this too, the jam. He cut that. They did that thing on uh, when, it, when MJF bloodied him on Dynamite. And he cut that promo like... All right, old man, like, and that was a promo from Ring of Honor, which Punk cut on Raven because they had a dog collar match in Ring of Honor. Did you know the Jay, the very first time CM Punk ever came out to that song was for his dog collar match with Raven. With Raven. Yeah, that, that's what started all the talk of him on the indie scene, you know, started the buzz around punk was was the stuff he was doing with raven so it, it, it just dips back into his past and his history and, and as we know with the millennials and we we love you millennials out there listening and uh, it's not just millennials it's even right it's, i don't generalize i'm just kind of yeah joking and like whatever the younger generations call there's like all those names we've joked about that on past podcasts but nonetheless you know a lot of people were chanting you could hear four called a personality during it and stuff but for for those of us that have been along for the ride and and that that song got me into afi a bit and was yeah. always one of the top tier songs on my podcast playlist for years uh because of punk and stuff so yeah i just love the throwback and and to shout out too because i don't think you mentioned it hey because uh, i was pulling up uh some stuff so i apologize if i missed it but mjf at first uh Punk's, uh, you know, cult of personality did start, and everybody thought it was Punk coming out first, and MJF came oh, out yeah. first. I don't know if you're you right because that, that was great. <laughs> that, that just started everything, you know. I'm like, oh shit, that's that's a nice little little twist to begin with, you know. So a lot they even mentioned it the the week before uh, whenever I talked about the beatdown on Punk, and they brought up the Piper in Portland thing. They said that multiple times. Um, I don't know if you caught this or not, but. Do you remember the trunks that uh, MJF had during the match? Yeah, because you, you mentioned this to me, and, and I so see it now. It's like it's he, ridiculous. He has green trunks on and white boots. They are very different than what he normally wears. So it's kind of a throwback, in my opinion, to the Piper in Portland thing. Specifically, 
Billy Jack Haynes, very popular uh, wrestler in Portland. Uh, he also wrestled at WrestleMania three, and you know whatever. But that it was kind of like I felt like that was the look he was going for. He was doing the Billy Jack Haynes. Billy look. Jack Haynes. Yep. I love this shit with these these two dudes are are top notch. Period. Like they're they're really good at what they do. Like I mean, fucking a plus 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 at what they do. Um. This shit is why wrestling is fucking amazing. This match made me feel like a little kid again. It's just, it, it was so good. Uh, the, the nuances that they have in this match, just the the little paybacks that they, like the things we were just talking about that are just like, you don't have to understand them to be able to enjoy it. But to me, it's like something that's like, thanks for being a longtime fan. And exactly. I love shit. A lot like of that. winks, a lot of winks yes. in this. And dude, it, it kind of rewards you for being a fan for that that long of a time period. And I love shit like that. And it's like, I said this to somebody recently, the WWE does everything for casual fans, okay? And I understand why they do that. And I'm not saying that AEW doesn't do things for casual fans, because they certainly do. But they always make sure to like, eh, we gotta do something for the diehards though. They always keep us in mind. That's the important thing here. That's what... The thing about Tony Khan that I think he fucking gets better than almost any promoter in wrestling today is like, yeah, I understand the story. Yeah, I understand the guys. Yeah, we got to give the fans what they fucking want. It's the most important thing. And it's weird because we've been watching WWE for so many decades at this point with very little competition and things like that. We're not used to that. So like it really kind of fills you with fucking joy when you're watching this stuff. That it's like, damn, dude, they're they're like they're doing it again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, this was definitely like, and that's why I loved it. Hey, Ed, it was just that that modern thing you could do where it was a, a shout to the past, but of course it had all the modern pro wrestling intertwined. Yeah. With, with all the old school kind of stuff they were doing as well, and and there's so many different highlights. But just to run through some of the Jays, hey, you know, uh, you know, of course, you know, like you said, the storytelling was the backbone to this whole situation, and of course, it was a bloodbath. At one point, Punk's blood, I think, mixing in with his sweat. It would kind of dissipate and go away towards the end because the match was so long. But the prime of the blood on Punk was crimson ridiculous. Mask. Like I was even thinking that complete crimson mass, just like almost wet looking. It, it was just, dude, just such a visual. So he was bleeding like a son of a bitch, right? And I said this. I watched the match with some friends of mine. Uh, you know, we, we ordered the pay per view, and I was like, now I want to see MJF bleed. And they're like, you think that they're really going to have... I'm like, it's a fucking dog collar match. Everyone, the ref should be fucking bleeding. Come <laughs> yeah. on. And they did it. And I'm like, that's that's the fucking thing right there. Like, that, it just adds to it. And I know all the reasons why it's bad to do and everything else. I can't help it. I grew up watching wrestling like this. So it just is better when they can bleed. I know it's, it's the and uh, gross. And, you know, it's a health hazard sometimes too. But... You know, they're not getting forced to do it. So and that's what I was going to say. And it's, why and it's the, the, the appropriate setting for it. Hey, like you said, it's a heavy feud dog collar match. Like that's the, the point of it. Like, they're, you know, AEW does the, the bleeding sparingly enough. I don't think they overdo it. I don't, but I'm going to tell you something that might surprise you as the show goes on about blood. But okay. what a match. I mean, absolutely fantastic. It lived up to everything that I expected and more. So kudos to both Punk and MJF, because to me, that's really, 
I don't know where I'd put it in the entire three-year lexicon of AEW, but I'd be I'd, off the top of my head, it's top five matches in the company's history. Yeah, some really good shit, man. They did the thumbtack spot. Yep. It, it was cool, you know, and then it all led to, uh, like you alluded to earlier, hey, yeah, to bring it back because you said we're going to break it down later. Later is now. Uh, yep. Of course, talking about the ladder match and Wardlow winning, uh, Wardlow being MJF's bodyguard and all the storytelling they've been doing with that and, and, and them being kind of their relationships on thin ice. Everybody that's a wrestling fan knows that the turn's coming and Wardlow made his way out with the diamond ring and it kind of led into the entire well, climax and finish of the match. He was supposed to come out with the diamond ring, but when MJF requested it, he couldn't find it. Right. Yeah, then did the one, like like the groom, the you know, the best man at a wedding that can't find the groom's ring kind of thing. And then CM Punk throws fucking MJF onto the tax. And then Wardlow, just by chance, found the ring. <laughs> yeah, he happened to gave find it the, the ring punk, then. And that's the end right there. I loved it. Uh I, I really I and no, dude, that's see, that's funny. We normally bitch about when somebody interferes in a match. And isn't it funny when they do it like this in a real story, you know, you like it. Exactly. The storytelling's there, the payoff's there, uh, the timing's there, everything worked. And, and I'm sure you caught the reference too, where Punk was celebrating at the end, spinning the dog collar around his head, and Excalibur even said he was invoking Bruiser Brody. Yep. Which, you know, talk about u- using the past in a, in a great way with, with all the shout outs from the, the guys that, that trailblazed. Dude, the WWE once guys who are not fans of pro wrestling aew like wraps itself in the warm blanket of these guys <laughs> right, with good, fans. good way to put it like yeah. it, it's important man and it's it's something it means a lot to me as a fan when they do stuff like that because i feel like that they, they you know they're they're looking at you and like dude we got you don't worry we got you you're gonna like this and i'm, I'm very very uh rarely disappointed uh, next up was the AEW Women's World Championship match. And in 17 minutes and 25 seconds, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, defeated Thunder Rosa by pinfall. Dude, this match was very, very disappointing. Not that it wasn't a good match, but damn, you had to follow the dog collar match. <laughs> yeah, you had to follow this uh, pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah, that's true, to too. This point. But like. Way, way too much interference in this by Jamie Hayter and Rebel for Thunder Rosa not to win. Uh, yeah, I don't care that, that Britt kept, but dude, now to me, they kind of like, unless they're planning on doing a cage match, which they might, that's the only other place I could see this feud continuing because really Thunder Rosa shouldn't get another shot right now. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it definitely went on, I think, a little too long. I think it went over 15 minutes. I think it's clocked at 17 minutes from what I have pulled up. Uh, and then, like you said, tons tons and tons of interference, which which goes in with Britt Baker's character. Of course, she's the the, the heel kind of champion that has to win with, with her entourage being involved in everything. So, you know, I get get the points of it. But, again, that's that's a thin line. When, you know, with with interweaving with your storytelling to to not overdo it with in this case, you know, and I think the crowd even picked up on that was a little too much. But the the good thing is for for these ladies, I noticed that a good portion of early on in the match, like you mentioned, hey, had especially following the dog collar match, the crowd wasn't into it for for a lot. But then they did kind of get back, uh, more back into it when they realized like Rosa just kept getting screwed out of the win. 
So they did build it up and bring the crowd back a bit, and it turned into a, a pretty average, decent match at least. And, dude, you know what this made me think of? And I don't know what their plans are, but this is just my gut instinct here. Plans have changed. Jade Cargill is going to end up with all the women's gold. That's going to be the person that beats Britt. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I wouldn't be able to pick off the top of my head who else, uh, you know, other than Thunder Rosa with her losing. You know, like you said, unless the, this goes to a cage and the outside interference is gone, and they do that kind of storytelling to put the belt on Thunder, I don't see anybody else as a better contender than Jade. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. So. Next up, we had a singles match between John Moxley and Brian Danielson that lasted 21 minutes and saw John Moxley defeat him by pinfall in kind of a weird thing. It was like the ending was kind of weird. The ending was weird. I had that note. And dude, so the reason why these two were fighting is like they were supposed to team up and Moxley said, I can't, you know, side with anybody unless we bled together. He meant that literally. Apparently, because these two both bled in this match like a motherfucker. Yeah, and another bloody match. That's true. I think that's a mistake. I looked at it going into the match as like, you know, I can't stand beside somebody unless I fight with them or have fought with them kind of a thing. Um, This is not the match to me that should have had any blood in it. I don't think so. I, I think it's a little bit overboard, Um, especially just because two matches earlier, guys bled fucking buckets. So... Eh, it's a little bit of a disappointment there. The match was really good. They both did a great job. Um, This is a problem that I'm starting to have with Brian Danielson and AEW, and it's not so much his fault. I feel like he has a match that they're planning doing down the road. So when they have a match, he can't go all out. So it's like him going 70% because they're saving stuff for the other match that they're going to have And then they don't have the other match because plans change and they shift over what they're doing. So I'd like to see a little bit more consistency with that. It's not the worst thing in the world. But to be honest with you, this match was really good, but I was a little disappointed in it because the finish was goofy. And these two dudes are both good enough to not mess that up. Yeah, I mean, I see what they were going for, of course. I'm sure you do, too, the psychology of it. If, hey, with Daniel Bryan, he, he's, he ends up losing the match because he holds on to the submission too long. You know, yes. it, gives, it gives Moxley the chance to counter it. But, yeah, it was it was kind of just weird how they, they ended up doing it. You know, maybe it was flubbed a little bit, but whatever. You know, I, I, I digress to, to still say that it was a great match, like you mentioned. A lot of technical stuff. A lot of the brawling, hard-hitting stuff that both men are capable of, you know, especially Moxley, and like you said, both both men bleeding, and you know, the crowd too was was kind of getting tired. I mean, this is a long show, and yeah. I kind of picked up on that. The crowd was out of it for a bit, but they did get back. You know, again, this was another one. They brought them back towards the end with a lot of the near falls and near submissions. Brought the crowd back, and then of course the big crescendo, like you said, going in with the storyline, and after uh, Moxley getting the win, and kind of Moxley and, and Brian facing off. Who comes back to AEW, who is a man that has to have a job if he wants one in the professional wrestling world? Who? I, was letting you, I was letting you throw it out there. R- William Regal. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, for Christ's sake. I don't know <laughs> yeah, why. No, it's all good. I, I was just kind of going with the flow. But yeah, uh, William Regal came back and made his AEW debut. And uh, from 
early reports, it, it appears his contract is going to have him be uh, some sort of an on-camera uh, character. But I think a big part of his hiring is, of course, going to be behind the scenes. And he's like I mentioned, yeah, Re- Regal just has to be uh, involved in professional wrestling if, if he's not going to be retired. So it seems like Moxley and Danielson are going to have a little crew with William Regal and potentially some other people that they're going to bring in. Now, the reason why I did like this, even though the match was a little disappointing to me, even though it was really good. um, Now I'm really looking forward to see what happens on Wednesday with this, because obviously that's when they kind of update you with everything that happened at the pay-per-view. I'm really, really interested to see where this goes from here. So at least they got me there. Yeah, of course. But yeah, still a solid match. Next up, we had the six-man Tornado Tag Team match, and in 13 minutes and 20 seconds, we saw Darby Allen, Sting, and Sammy Guevara defeat the Andrade-Hardy family office team of Andrade, Matt Hardy, and Isaiah Cassidy um, by pinfall. This match was really good. Nothing crazy uh, except for Sting. A 62-year-old man who jumped off a fucking balcony and put Andrade through multiple tables. I almost shit my pants. Did, did you notice happened. he pretty much headbutted yes. that second table? Like, yep. I, <laughs> unbelievable it, dude, Sting. It, I give Sting so much fucking credit because this is stuff that he does not have to be doing. But <laughs> yeah. He seems to want to do it, man. Like, more power to him. Uh, it was awesome. And, dude, you know, I, I have to say that this at this point, this is the perfect spot for for me to disclose this. Hey, Ed, I have gone on and on in prior wrestling talk about one aspect of ECW that always stood out for me from back in the day with their pay-per-views was how every match kind of brought something different to the table. You know, unlike yeah. WWE, where like, you know, every match could be the same, yada, yada, yada. This this pay-per-view had so much variety on it. And then this portion here was just like the ape shit section yeah of, you know, like yeah. because and we kind of called that uh, yeah again <laughs> like, in our in our preview with it being a tornado uh which you know gives the option of everybody just going the whole time and six men being involved so they can kind of pace it where you know guys are doing different things while other guys are kind of down and and wrestling you know resting so that they can come in and do their spots and vice versa and it was just pure cool madness in this and all let it leading to stings big dive and everything else that went in this but i i had a lot of fun with this dude this this match kind of reminded me you know who's starting to become like one of my favorite dudes in the company and he's always not only good but like bonkers and he just doesn't seem to get the credit he deserves to me and that's andrade yeah andrade is good he's been on fucking fire man like that, that match that Andrade, Darby, and Sammy had to open unreal. Rampage was unbelievable. That pace dude, of that remember, match was ridiculous. Like Jericho remember, like even said, like, I can't keep up with this action. <laughs> Andrade and Pac had their, their Rampage feud for a while there, and those matches were those fucking matches outstanding. Were yeah, that's, that's a like, good call, Ed. Yeah, give the spotlight to him here on What's Real, because uh, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think he's getting the credit he deserves, especially no. bringing that up. I, yeah, I mean, I want to see this dude get some more love, man, for sure. Because, I mean, he's always at such a high level. So, uh, in the main event, we saw Adam defeat Adam to retain the AEW World Championship in 25 minutes and 45 seconds. And, of course, I'm talking about the hangman retaining, which we said that he probably would. Um, really, really good match. I don't have any problem with this. I, the only issue that I'm starting to see with AEW is... 
the main events aren't bad. It's just they're, it's a lot. <laughs> like, look at all you'll, the shit we've seen up to you'll, this you're, point. You'll see what I'll say. Gotta go out and, and wrestle. Yep, you'll see what I'm going to say about my overall take on the show. It goes hand in hand with that. So I'm right with you. But nonetheless, this was was a great match. I think Cole was the, the perfect opponent. Th- this period of both of their AEW careers for Hangman and, and Adam. And, and we said, and, and uh, you know, again, I got to reference our preview because that's how we take the time to do this. We were kind of calling this one as well. It's just not Adam Cole's time yet to get an AEW World uh, Championship run, which I'm sure will truly be in his future at some point. No hurry there. You know, let, let's get uh, the, the long reign in for, for Hangman. I love the slow burn storytelling, as I reference all the time with AEW. I think Hangman has to run with this for, for a while. And this was a great opponent and a great match to do that for, for his current reign. And I know that we normally do this, the J for movies, but I made up a tagline for this pay-per-view. All right, shout it out. What is it? Blood and pile drivers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you put that in the notes. Yeah, that's great. That's pretty much what it was. Yeah, it really was, man. It was pretty wild to see that kind of stuff. But, dude, a really, really good show overall. And uh, we do the ratings here, the J, or I should say the the grade scale for wrestling pay-per-views. What's your grade for AEW Revolution? Dude, I, I, I'm going to say this. Hey, Ed, I'm giving it an A, a solid A, not an A minus, not an A plus, a solid A. And the only reason I'm not getting it and giving it an A plus is because I'm going to leave that for the upper echelon of anything. But it, this is as close as you're going to get, man. Like, like That's why I referenced my old take on a, ECW shows that really hit the variety of their card. This when you add in the buy-in pre-show, this was goddamn near five hours, as we yep. know with WWE, you know, big pay-per-views as well. Nonetheless, I enjoyed every minute of it. I didn't get too tired until the end. I did disclose that to you. I was yep. I was fighting and struggling to get through the main event when we were getting towards midnight on a Sunday. That's not typical for the J, but I pulled it off. And that again, that's my point. It, it kept me into it the entire time. And and yeah, I, I just gotta go with that. Solid A. Yeah, I'm going to go with an A as well. Uh, the reason why I didn't give it an A+, plus, like I said, is, you know, they're, they're, the, everything is such a fucking high level. It, it kind of leaves some of the last matches to be a bit underwhelming. I feel like Britt and Thunderosa got totally fucked up because they had to go out there after the, the dog collar match. That's not really their yeah, fault. Yeah, the timing. Exactly. Um, and plus, A+, plus is perfect. That's right. Like 100%. That's how I look at it. Yep, this I'm with is, you. they got a 97% or not, I should say like 95, 96%. Yep. So, you know, that's where we're at with it. So A is my grade and uh, literally one of the best pay-per-views you can possibly see. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend uh, tracking it down. Yeah, it was great. And uh, Brian Alvarez did a write-up for this on uh, Sports Illustrated. For those listening not familiar, Brian Alvarez uh, works with Dave Meltzer with the Wrestling Observer. And a couple comments, because he put it really well, Hey Ed, so I wanted to throw it at you wrapping, wrapping up, you know, just summarizing this great Revolution 2022 AEW pay-per-view. Uh, one of the things he had said at the outset was, ask any fan what their favorite match was on Sunday's pay-per-view, and you'll get a wide range of answers. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we're talking about. As he says, as I 
is often the case with AEW. There was something for everyone. And as I mentioned, he goes on to say it was a long show, 12 matches and almost five full hours if you count the buy-in pre-show. But in those five hours, there were five main show matches that could arguably be voted best match of the night. It really came down to your personal taste in pro wrestling. And that's what we talk about. And that's what we love. And that goes into my reference of the ECW cars that I grew up loving. And, and as he said, goes on to say, you love hard-hitting, old-school Japanese-style wrestling? Chris Jericho versus Eddie Kingston. You love Young Bucks-style tag team frenzy with wild hide spots and boatloads of action? You have Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus beating the Bucks in Red Dragon. How about Bloodbass? Have, have I got the match for you? MJF versus CM Punk in a brutal, thumbtack-filled dog collar match. If you want to see two dudes hitting and kicking each other as hard as they can for 21 straight minutes, Brian Danielson and John Moxley delivered everything you could have wanted and more. And as far as old-school main event professional wrestling world championship matches are concerned, Hangman Page versus Adam Cole was an excellent capper to a great night of action credit to brian alvarez yeah i couldn't really say that any better that's why i read it that's <laughs> yeah. that, that's how i pretty much felt about the exactly show. So, yep. job well done at everybody from aw i can't wait to see what else you guys have in store and dude i really can't wait to go in april that can't come fast enough for this yeah moment. what's so. real podcast second trip to aew let's do it so we are up against another commercial break. Whenever we come back, me and the Jay are going to take a look at Genius, a brand new three-part Kanye West documentary that just came on Netflix during the month of March. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. What's the most action-packed segment weekly podcasting? Thursday Night Ride. What segment on weekly podcasting do the hosts literally put their lives on the line? Thursday Night Prime. Join us each week in the month of March for the most action-packed weekly segment in podcasting where Hey Ed and the J look back at all kinds of weirdo B-action movies. It is Thursday Night Prime. Yo, G, they can't stop me from rapping, can they? Can they hop? And we're back, and it is time to get into Genius, a Kanye trilogy, a documentary in three parts all about Kanye West. Uh, this is directed by Achike Oza and Cootie Simmons. Uh, these guys were following him around for over, I believe, a, what was it? like a Almost 30 years. Is that what it was? I was going to say something because like, like the last, uh, you know, we'll get into it, but the last episode, the third act is like pretty much the last 20 years of his life, which was crazy, you know, and that was after the first two. So I'd say between 20 and 30 years, they were having. Yeah. So all of this in total was about seven and a half hours. Dude, I check this out. I read this uh, earlier today. Dude, Netflix, Netflix paid those two dudes 30 million for that. Wow. Well, it just shows you they put in the time. Hey, you know, look what you can do. That's true. So there is a reason <laughs> for it. So let's talk about this a little bit, the Jay. This is uh, pretty interesting. So it's in three parts. Uh, the first one is Act One. It's called Vision. Uh, after dazzling hip-hop players in Chicago, brilliant yet hungry producer Con Kanye West moves to NYC but struggles to get signed and claim the mic as an MC. This one, to me, was probably my favorite one, and I'll tell you why. It was pretty amazing. Uh, there's two scenes in this one that come to mind. There was one where he was in the, a studio with a bunch of people. 
uh, from Rockefeller. And he was like trying to play his music for them to listen to. And like, they would just kind of be like, yeah, it's good when you make them a beats. Like they didn't give a fuck. And there's another scene where he was going to do something with Scarface and Scarface comes in the studio and he's like, so what are you working on? He plays him Jesus walks. And it seems like he just doesn't like it and wants to immediately do something on the other song that he played for him. And like, there's moments in this first part where you literally see like the sadness and rejection on Kanye's fucking face. It's pretty wild to see, especially with what this dude is right now. And and that's what I took from this, you know, especially probably the first episode and a half was it's very inspiring. For, for somebody that's a, a fellow artist in my own way and things like that, I always say that's that's what I, I take out of seeing things like this, hey, Ed, and, and just I, I get motivated from seeing things like this from early Kanye because of that, because we've all been through that. And, and it just shows you his gumption and his belief in himself that he is rejected. He is kind of getting used for his beats and things. And he's like, no, I want to, I want to be a rapper. I want to be a singer. And and as we got, you know, so much more to cover here at the outset, that, that kind of just set the tone for this though, for me was just like, wow, I want to see, you know, especially like you mentioned, like that first episode is really the tell of his work ethic and how he saw himself and his belief in himself. Because he he never gets up like, dude, he is in a positive way. He is just very, very driven. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And dude, it's really weird because there is a line in this program where things change and we'll obviously get into that. Yeah. But this first act, you're seeing who Kanye West really is like to me. That's the. You know, the hardworking producer dude that's just trying to make albums and music. And, you know, he's kind of like trying to get involved in all the things that he likes and his mother's in his life. And she you could tell she's like a really big source of inspiration. Like he just wants to make his mom happy and stuff like that. And I think that there's there's a lot in the first act that not only is inspiring, but it's stuff that people can identify with. Whereas if you see him now, you're like, this dude's like a fucking alien. But like at this point, I feel like there was a lot of people in music, like fans and stuff, like just kind of like, I want this dude to win, man. Like you could tell all the stuff he's doing is amazing. Like he was an amazing producer. He did make some really good music and stuff. And this kind of highlights most of that. And and we have to say here as well, that's, that's what's pretty much behind Cootie wanting to follow Kanye and get all of this footage at at the outset. That's why he has 20 some, you know, 20 plus years, we'll say uh, of footage from following Kanye here because he obviously saw something in him that was like, dude, we got to document this dude, you know, hustling like this, making these beats and wanting to become this, this music star, you know, before any of that happened. And, and that was, was a huge part as well with, the influence of his mother, Donda, like you said, to go off of that too. Hey, at this point where she was such an integral part to his music and career and the confidence that she would give his son. And at one point in the, the, the first episode and they break up, like you mentioned, the episodes are basically acts, the one, two and three act. The first one being entitled vision. We see Donda, his mother tell Kanye that he should have confidence in himself because he is a gifted musician and artist. But she also states that a giant looks into the mirror and sees nothing, but everybody else sees the giant. 
you it's know, and, and words of wisdom from his mother. And then, you know, again, we'll, we'll, we'll take it step by step, but, but get into, you know, her eventual passing, which puts him on a whole other trajectory as well, especially within his personal life. Yeah. And this, so we're seeing him get started as an artist. He's basically at the point where he's like, I'm producing just for a living, but it, it's not what I want to do. I feel like I could be more. And that's kind of where it goes into the second act. So the second act, Kanye hustles to establish his voice at the label Rockefeller. When a car crash and broken jaw threaten it all, the unstoppable artist turns pain into platinum. This is kind of around the time when uh, Kanye was pretty well known as a producer at this time in the industry, very well respected, is one of the best people, at least up and coming. Um, everybody wanted to work with him, but his whole purpose at this point was to make his very first album, College Dropout. Um, a lot of people during this one didn't seem to understand, like they knew that he had skills and stuff, but even like the subject matter of his album, they're like, this doesn't really fit in with what we're doing. And Kanye even recognizes that. He's like, I know I'm, I'm the motherfucker on, like I'm not rapping about selling drugs and shit. I'm rapping about fucking dude, clothing and not having self-confidence and going to college and shit. Like it's a different kind of thing. And it was weird. And it, it sounds weird now, but at the time, the gangster shit was still popping. That right. was what was selling records. Kanye was a big reason why that changed, for better or worse. Because that was one of the albums that came out at the time where the subject matter was nothing like that, but everybody seemed to like it. Yeah, that mass appeal through that. and Exactly. You know, that's, that's why icons happen and Kanye became the Kanye we know today, you know, especially back within his definitive prime uh, before some of the other stuff we'll get into and, and all that. And, and that goes into everything you're saying, hey, Ed, is like you to be a trailblazer, you got to be the first to do it. And he was the first to kind of take hip hop to, to where Kanye took it, you know, like you were saying. And that's what was cool too, like in, in the outset of the first couple acts, these first two episodes with the footage and the behind the scenes. And, and as you mentioned, working for Rockefeller was seeing guys, people like Jay-Z and Pharrell Williams overwhelmed by West talent, you know, towards the beginning, yeah. just, you know, Farrell turned into the camera being like, man, this dude, he got some beats boy, you know, and, yeah, and, like, and they saw it. Yeah. And, and people knew, but, but yeah, again, it just, it just is going to kind of keep going back to me to that with, with his rise here was how interesting that was and how uh, inspirational that was to see that he never get up, get, gave up. He believed in himself. And, and like you said, man, he was going against the grain there and people weren't, weren't feeling it until it came out. And of course, college dropout becoming just a well, humongous worldwide hit. We can't get to that point yet because in this point in the documentary, um, it seemed like some of the things started going more his way. Like they were, you know what, work on your album. We're going to get ready to do this, you know? So he's, he's coming up with tracks for his album and trying to complete the album. And then he gets into a car accident. Yeah, that was huge. Cause I remembered that, but Same. I like had kind of forgot. So like when I saw that, I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember and, when he was in that fucking car accident. And the weird thing about this, and it's funny how things work sometimes because his very first single is Through the Wire, a song that he did not write. He had the beat and stuff set up for it, uh, but he didn't know what it was going to be. But he wrote Through the Wire because after this accident happened, he had a bunch of facial injuries, injuries to his jaw, things like that. 
and had to have his mouth wired shut. Yep. And his jaw was swollen, and he's like talking to the the dentist in this episode, and he's like, "Can I do this?" And, he, and the doctor's like, nah, "I don't think so." And he's like, "Man, like I'm about my album's about to come out. Like I need to keep working. I got to finish this." So he found a way to do through the wire a song that he recorded with his jaw wired shut. And to this day, I still think it's one of Kanye's best pieces of work. It's a really, it has Chaka Khan. They use her sample and she's actually singing on the song. It's a beautiful sample. It's a really good song. And it is the kind of song looking back on it that it makes sense looking at it now. It launched an entire career. It was a massive song at the time that College Dropout came out. Even to the point where it was getting Grammy nominations, it was selling a ton of records. And other than Jay-Z, he was the number two artist, if not number one, on Rockefeller after this album came out. Which says it all. So then we move into Act 3. This is titled The Awakening. Uh, After multiple college dropout Grammy wins, the documentary looks complete. But life, death, and fame get in the way till two paths cross once more. Uh, So basically what we see in this one is, of course, College Dropout comes out. It's a massive hit. It's getting very high critical acclaim. Uh, He's winning Grammys. Uh, It looks like he's finally getting to the point in his life where he's been working so hard to get to. Then his mother passes away after a plastic surgery uh, mishap. Uh, This clearly fucked him up. Uh, Cooney, who he's known for a very long time, starts for the first time in the documentary to say, I kind of seen some changes coming in Kanye, and now I'm seeing drastic changes. And he's like, and as somebody that's known him his entire life, he's like, I'm kind of scared of what's going on with this dude right now because he just does not seem like the same person anymore. Yeah, and you you can only imagine, man. It's, It's definitely, just as a compassionate fellow human being, something that you could be sympathetic towards anybody is, is when somebody that meant that levity in his life that he loved that much. And and you see that in the, you know, obviously the earlier footage when, you know, their interactions that, that we were kind of talking about at the outset in the early part of the documentary, how, how much she meant to him. So this, the sympathy, sympathy is definitely there. However, how far he kind of, gets away from his former self, how it seems as it will build up and we, we can continue to get into from this. Hey, Ed, I think is definitely a, a huge negative, but again, just there's, there's reasons for everything. And of course that kind of loss to that level would, would, would fuck up anybody. You know, I'll be the first to say that. So there's a big part of that. Uh, this, this is a part two getting into the the third act here and, and kind of everything leading to the end of this documentary and the climax of, as we keep saying, 20 plus years worth of footage was Cootie's perspective as the documentarian of this, because with him, dude, yeah, go ahead. Hale. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, go ahead. You're exactly, I know exactly where you're going. Well, I, I, right. I was just going to say like, you know, we mentioned he's there from the beginning and, and starting in 98 when, when Kanye is just making beats for everybody and all the, all the stuff we've been through and, and he gets all that footage and it, and it keeps going on. And Cootie's personal story for those listening that might not know uh, that haven't caught this or, or anything is that he was a comedian, you know, basically 
through this situation becomes Kanye West's obviously personal documentarian. And then like you mentioned, that's why I wanted to bring this up here. Hey, Ed, after Donda's passing, uh, he starts kind of getting pulled apart from, from Kanye and Cootie's focus on his own story kind of gets implemented into this documentary. And that's what, one thing I wanted to mention about this film you know, because we're, we're reviewing the actual film too, not just talking about Kanye is the fact that that kind of throws some things out of place a bit, you know, especially yeah, in like work. the last act, it, it doesn't really work because then all of a sudden he's like throwing his experience with having a kid in and things like that. And like, you're dealing with 20 years worth of Kanye to, to present with all the crazy shit he's doing. So the last episode was kind of all over the place, even though it was still entertaining and enjoyable. Uh, this is where it kind of was like getting kind of away from me as, as a viewer in, in Dude, ways. You're, you're right. You're absolutely right. However, there is something in the third act here that I really personally identified with. And I'll explain. So I'm not going to give away the names here, but you, I think you know who this is, Jay, because I've told you the story before. So for years, I would go to movie conventions. And at a lot of those conventions, they do Q&As and things like that. And I would record a lot of these. Sometimes I'm up, I'd upload them to YouTube or, or do different things with them. Um, and I went to a convention years ago. And I was so excited to meet somebody uh, who I knew from Facebook, but I was a big, big fan of their work. And it was it, they're kind of a, a rebel type personality to begin with. And let's just say we had no idea. I uh, go to the show, run into the person. They're fucking awesome. But I do notice that they're drinking. And this does happen at conventions, so it's not really out of place. But I did notice as the night went on, he was drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking. And it was time for his Q&A. So I go to the Q&A, I have my camera out, I'm ready to go. He starts talking. And because of a question from the audience that wasn't to his liking, it turned into a fucking disaster. And I seen this kind of coming anyways, but I started recording this and it got to a point where I just put the camera away and I, I literally went in and just deleted it because I kind of figured what I was seeing was like a mental issue or a breakdown. And I'm like, I'm not recording this and I'm not putting this out there. Yeah. And that's something that you see several times in the third installment here is Cootie somehow manages to get involved with something Kanye is doing. He goes there to film it like he would all this other stuff and sees him wildly ranting, acting fucking just erratic and strange. And he even just puts the camera down. He's like, I'm, I, I just decided I'm not, I'm not recording this. Like, so I know what that's like. It's in one way you're angry, but in another way you're fucking sad because you're literally watching somebody have some sort of a mental episode in front of you. And it just feels wrong to kind of document that. Kind yeah, and of ex thing. exploit, just, exploit it. it, it that, that's exactly how it feels. And that's how I felt at the time when I did what I did. And I'm sure that's how he felt, especially because it's somebody that at least at one point in his life, he considered a friend and actually was friendly to up until her death with his mother. So I get that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And I do, I do know what you're referencing to. Hey, Ed. yeah, it's just, it's just brutal to see, you know, again, just the fellow, fellow man thing, you know, compassion for, for people and just, especially where we're at in society with at least 
some semblance of more understanding of mental health and mental health issues with people. You know, I, I think we all go through it. It's just part of, of human life. And, and again, it's, it's about being compassionate. And, and that's what happened with, with Kanye. Like, I think uh, in particular, you're describing one part that stands out, the situation where he met with a bunch of real estate tycoons. Yep. And, and yep. like, yeah, and that's, you know, Cootie specifically says like at this point, I've never seen yay like this. And I just felt implored to put the camera down and they like kind of, sh- they even show like, you know, it's part of the story, storytelling aspect of this, like the camera, you know, just goes to the floor and like the kind of thing. And, and yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, kudos to Cootie for recognizing that even documenting him this, this long, he, you could you know, see that he is a friend. Like at, at the end of the day, uh, I'm doing this for my own benefit as well, but Kanye's my boy and th- this is going too far and I'm not going to document this, this part. Yeah. I mean, I think we all, and you know this too, the Jay, because you've actually made movies and stuff. We all have our ideas about art and what we're doing and things like that, but there are things that for you are unacceptable and maybe they're not unacceptable for someone else. And just like I might think something is unacceptable for me to do, it might not be unacceptable for you to do. But the bottom line is, if it's your project, if it's your art, and you personally have an issue with something going on, it's up to you. It's your responsibility to say, like, we're not doing that. Nope. It's not on my watch. Go do it on someone else's shit. You're not doing it with mine. Yeah, there's, just, there's, you should have a morality compass, you know, and you should yeah, be able to kind of sniff that. Yeah, you should be able to know when to sniff that stuff out and know when, when somebody needs help and, and not worry about your documentary. Yeah, exactly. So that was good to see that. But as a package, and now keep in mind, too, I have to kind of put a caveat on this. I'm not a big Kanye West fan at this point. I'm not a big fan of a lot of the things that he's done publicly. Uh, I'm not don't feel any need to get into specifics with it. Um, but that all set aside, I can still watch this and and kind of view it for what it is. OK, I did think it was pretty interesting. It's seven and a half hours of somebody following around a guy who they had no idea that he was going to be rich and famous. And now the guy's literally a billionaire and is one of the most famous people on the face of the earth. Um, that is just an interesting concept in and of itself. Exactly. Yeah, good, who good, the names good point. Because um, you do, you know, dude, that's the one thing, too, that I liked about a lot of this. Um, and this dude's really smart, okay? A lot of people don't realize this. When you watch a documentary or something like that, sometimes they're bullshit. And I mean, like, it's constant talking heads and narration kind of like giving you the agenda of the filmmaker. That's a that good the, word. That's what you use the word agenda. But the best documentaries are ones that just film stuff and tell the story. It in. I felt like whenever we were getting narration from Cootie in this, it wasn't to push an agenda. It was him to literally update you. Like, and at this point, I wouldn't see Kanye for another two years. Like, yeah. it's just kind of telling you why it is the way that it is. So I really didn't have a problem with that. And he did this, in my opinion, in the correct way of making a documentary. And frankly, that makes it significantly better because of that alone and it really is a cumbersome piece they really cover a lot of history i liked seeing a lot of the pre-famous kanye stuff like when he was in chicago like when guys like common knew who he was and you know like a lot of the guys who never really made it out of chicago and stuff i did enjoy that too and i thought that that was kind of a really cool thing to see and then even once kanye rose in fame 
how there were times where he had discrepancies with the artists and the people that he came up with from Chicago. And that was no fault of his own. People were coming after him because he was the biggest target now. I liked a lot of that stuff and I was really impressed with a lot of the stuff that they were able to do with this, even in a seven and a half hour documentary. It's still really impressive. And just to break down like certain themes of the show that we've dealt with in the past, and we've talked about this with varying different docu-series that we've covered and reviewed here on the show on Netflix, and even you know referencing as we always go back to you and I had the world of pro wrestling and, and Dark Side of the Ring, is the point mm-hmm. that there's certain topics and things that you go into, and Kanye being the, the subject of, of this three-part documentary, is you, you kind of in your head wonder where your interests are going to lie in somebody that you've followed, you know, cause I'm like you, I'm not the biggest Kanye fan ever, but I, I love Kanye, especially as, as most of us would say the, the original Kanye stuff, college dropout, man. I mean, love that. Listen to that a million times and, and, and so on and so forth. But my point is the point at hand is that I kind of had an idea in my head where this might go. And I was kind of interested in the whole quote unquote craziness, you know, periods of his time just to see like, man, this dude got a behind the scenes look on when Kanye was in the worldwide news through the Taylor Swift incident, the Trump stuff, all these Twitter tirades. Meanwhile, and again, my point is that that part was the most uninteresting thing to me. And the first two episodes were literally as i've been saying inspiring to me dude there's something really telling in this episode too and i'm shocked that we forgot to touch on this so i have to go back to it because it's really important yeah please do uh cootie at one point says uh kanye was like acting out and doing all this stuff and he's like i really didn't understand what he was doing so i kind of went to him and i'm like hey man like are you all right like what's good and he said uh, uh, this isn't me anymore this is all an act I'm doing oh, this great, on great point. Yeah. And he was like, okay. But then like he realized that, yes, that was true. But some of the stuff that was bleeding through was mental problems and stuff like that. So that was very, t- he was like, you know, like anything you see me do from this point forward, don't believe it because it's not really me, which still might be the case. But I, I don't know if I necessarily buy that. But then again, it's not my really, really my place to buy it or not. It just kind of is what it is. But it's interesting to have it in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's that's pretty much the breakdown, man. The, the first two episodes of Kanye's rise, his his drive, his belief in himself, and and everything you know that he went through with the car accident, which you know, like I mentioned, I, I knew about but forgot about. And then this brings up again, and, and watching him go through that, and you know, you you broke down the the freaking number one hit that, that comes through that, you know, with through the wire, uh, and and all leads to just the craziness of the last two decades of Kanye's. Uh, life that was still interesting but yeah like i mentioned it was like there was nothing really in there again as as an empathetic human through the third act and all the craziness it wasn't like anything that i could laugh at or be entertained by i was i was honestly kind of sad for him in in a lot of ways you know yeah in comparison to the old kanye if you will from the earlier uh two episodes that was you know again i i I just use that word It, it was as an inspiration as as somebody that as an artist had, you know, he could have just sat back and kept making beats 
you know, and, and, and he's making probably made a really good, living yeah, good money. That. He's making beats for top, top tier hip hop acts and everything else. But again, he had that belief in himself as an artist and, and he wanted to go where he needed to go. And, and you see that, in those, that first, those first two episodes. And then, uh, yeah, he kind of gets off the rails, which which the third one breaks down, but, but nonetheless, as a package, very entertaining. And I would definitely highly recommend it for anybody that likes hip hop. I mean, obviously if you're a Kanye fan, um, but, but just a really solid documentary at the end of the day. Yeah, I totally agree. So as we do here on the podcast, we go to the five-star rating scale. Uh, me, the J I'm going to give genius four stars. All right. I'm right behind you. I would go three and a half. Hey, you. All right. So hope you guys enjoyed that, but we are up against another commercial break and the J so we had a meeting this weekend, all right? And I had to bring that note to your attention from last week, the Jay. And we've kind of put out some calls. We had Cam in on this. Uh, we brought him in on the, the big screen here. And we devised a plan, okay? And today, we don't have anything to worry about because the perimeter is covered. Uh, all uh, Jared, you had to bring out all that fucking equipment that we purchased last season. I was just gonna, I was just gonna mention. I'm, I'm looking at everything now, dude. We're, we're in the clear uh, oh, on all the cameras, dude. Did I what leave happened? my bag in, in the tank? Was that still in there? Did you check? It might have been, dude. I can't remember. Uh, we're doing so much shit. I was distracted. You, yeah, I'll have to go check after the show. But oh my, dude. Yeah, what is they're that blowing now? all kinds of shit up. Holy shit, dude. You know what? Hey. Oh. I'm going for the machine gun. Yep. I'm going for the Get AK. Him, I'm going to head down in the bunker. No I'm more ninja get... stars. My shoulder's still sore from last week. We're defending ourselves this week. Come on, motherfuckers. Grenade time. Oh, shit. Oh. I'll be Jesus. back. Hey, yeah. I got to cover the other way. All right, guys. We'll be back right after this. We're going to go fight this army right here on the What's Real Podcast. This is Ed for the What's Real Podcast, telling you about the IWC Wrestling's Superstar Showdown 2, Saturday, April 30th at the Ross Traver Ice Gardens in Belvern in Pennsylvania, featuring an appearance by the Hardy Boys, Matt and Jeff Hardy in action, and Dirty Dango, formerly known as WWE's Fondango. All that and much more Saturday, April 30th, bell time at 7 p.m. It is the IWC International Wrestling Cartel Superstar Showdown 2. It's time for Thursday Night of Prime. That's right, we are back and it is time once again for some Thursday Night Prime. Today, me and the Jay travel back to 1992 for some Rage and Honor, starring Cynthia Rothrock and Richard Norton. Uh, so, witnessing a drug deal involving local gang members and cops, an Australian police officer feels he can no longer be just an observer. He joins forces with a local teacher who just happens to be a karate expert, and together, they try to take back the streets. Uh, man... <laughs> yeah, okay, where do we start? <laughs> so, one thing here, so uh, that I was happy about, but boy, was it disappointing. I saw that Brian Thompson was in this one as Conrad Drago. Uh, you might recognize him as the bad guy or the main villain from the movie Cobra, but boy, does he look like in Cobra, he looks like fucking insane, like the last person you'd want to come across. 
And in this movie, he looks like a European douchebag with a blonde <laughs> mulleted ponytail thing. <laughs> he has and Ric Flair colored white blonde yes, hair. That's in a, a good ponytail. call. <laughs> and dude, uh, this this is something that blew my mind with this one. Okay, I, dude, this start this also features Catherine Bach, who played Daisy Dukes on the Dukes of Hazard. And you would not recognize her if you were her father. Exactly. Yep. She's Captain Murdoch. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, where the hell did that come from? Okay. But like, dude, this movie, before we get into plot lines and shit like that, one thing that I noticed that had me fucking dying every time it came up. And the first time that I noticed this, the J, was when our our main fucking Aussie cop here, uh, Preston, is in a police station. And I'm like, this police station doesn't believe in background noise. <laughs> and what I mean is, so like if you're shooting a, play, a scene at like a police station, right? Typical things, you hear like background, like talking, almost like a crowd, like people. Yeah, like, phone, oh, phones ringing. Phones ringing, maybe typewriters and shit. Nope, they were like, fuck all that. You're going to hear dudes bursting through the door. You're going to hear other people doing shit that like is like getting in the way of dialogue. Yeah, you like hear uh, some dude outside that wasn't even part of the film. Like, hey, man, let me get some of that, man. And it's like, shh. No, but boy, what we're doing here. It's like, I mean, it was so fucking distracting that I'm like, and now, you know, here's the thing. I can get past that because, I mean, dude, I've, I've watched movies and I know you have too, the Jay, that like people have made in their yard with their friends for what looks like $11 and a camcorder. Um, but this movie wasn't like, it wasn't, it's not like a hundred million dollar action movie, but like, it wasn't made for like eight grand. Like they had some budget here and it's like, they just, there's certain things that they're just like, Oh fuck, we forgot to do that. (laughs) Like that's how it comes across. Now, dude, this is starting to piss me off. And I don't know if you're starting, maybe it's just our, our bad luck with picking the titles, but I feel like every time we pick a Cynthia Rothrock movie to watch, she's not never the main fucking character. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's pretty much Richard Norton the whole time. And she's good enough to do it. Like, Richard Norton's not some fucking blowaway actor that's amazing and everything. Frankly, in this movie, he fucking detracts from most of the stuff (laughs) that he's in. And I I just got to say, too, here, hey, before before we get too far away from it, even though we kind of are, how how what's your count? How many guys you get? Because I I killed seventeen motherfuckers this yeah. week for Thursday Night Prime, and I didn't <laughs> I, I didn't take one wound. So I'm happy this week we were prepared. Because last week we said we weren't prepared. This week you know, we were ready, and you said you got I, the note. We got us communicated. We had the surveillance. I'll be honest with you. I didn't get a chance to count. I was counting, and then I threw that fucking grenade, and I'm like, I don't know how many. Yeah, you lost. Count. I just saw limbs flying everywhere, so I don't. You know, I admit uh, next time I'll be more mindful to keep score because maybe that's what we should do throughout uh, throughout this is uh, see whose body count is higher, yeah, if you will. This this um, uh, round of Thursday night prime. But yeah, just had to to check in with you there and just uh, say, yeah, no, no bleeding and ninja star wounds this week. Like last week, we were prepared pretty early after getting taken advantage of last week. So moving on and back to the motherfucking title at hand, Rage and Honor, I, I got to throw out there, one of the titular characters, and the pun intended there, is Hannah the Hun. Let's talk some Hannah the Hun in this Because <laughs> she had me okay. dying. So I was like looking through, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. 
Like, what? what's the deal with this character? <laughs> I mean, and the weird thing is I found myself saying that multiple times watching this movie. But, dude, they're just... I can't even explain this. This is like the weirdest... Ma- like, dude, th- somebody thought it was a good idea to be like, we're going to have this Australian police officer and then a teacher who's a karate expert. So, like, the movie's already fucking weird as shit. And then you throw in stuff like this character and it's like, what? I don't even... What am I watching again? Yeah, for those that don't know, Hannah the Hun was like, what is she, like the boss of like some underground women's fighting ring or something? That, that sounds about as clear of an answer as I can get as well. <laughs> yeah, because at one point they try to put pit, uh, Cynthia Rothrock's character, Chris Fairfield, and, and Norton's character, Michaels, against each other to fight. And of course, they have Michaels shirtless, and they're like, you know, you're scared to fight a woman. He's like, I ain't fighting no woman. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck are we watching? But that's TNT for you. And that reminds me, I was like, this is a direct quote from my notes. I've never seen a movie with worse collective acting than this. Cynthia Rothrock looks like Meryl Streep compared to almost everyone else in the movie. And again, there are actors that we've seen in this movie, like Catherine Bach and the fucking Drago dude. Be really good in other stuff. <laughs> so like this one, they're like, ah, no, 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 no. I just needed to buy a boat. That's the only reason why I'm here. I'm, I'm not trying or reading a script. Dude, the scene where Brian Thompson's character Drago gets head had me dying. <laughs> she, she, dude, he's with this chick, his right right wing, <laughs> right arm chick, and she's like giving him advice on her knees in front of him, and they do this like back and forth dialogue, and then the scene just ends with her starting to blow him. He just puts his head back with that yeah, horrific like, hair. <laughs> like, and this is how it works. It's like she just kneels down in front of him, which looks like her head's in front of his dick, and then his reaction is just to lean his head back, and then it cuts to the next scene. <laughs> yeah. Dude, <laughs> I... <laughs> The first up, there's this this kid character in the movie where he's like a documentarian slash skateboarder because that was a thing in 1992. And I was like, I'm already annoyed at this documentary director kid. He's carrying a camera around and they made it seem like it's a spy camera that isn't intrusive whatsoever, but he's carrying like a fucking camcorder from 1992. It's big as shit. Everyone can see that you have it. <laughs> yeah. it like, dude, you're not... you're. Even it's not an iPhone. Do, yes, it's not. It's not a spy camera. It's not nothing. Like everyone sees you with the fucking camera, dude. Yeah, like, uh, I was dying. There, there were some uh, unique names of the thugs. I don't know if you saw an IMDb, but there was a thug named Size Twelve, and yep. then and then there was one named Frost T F R O S dash capital T. I was, I was dying. dying. Frost T. <laughs> Dude, okay, here's one of the hilarious things from this movie. So I'm watching it, and I see this character, and I'm like, where do I know this dude from? Like, it's I'm like, it's something. And then it clicked. Toshihiro Obato is in this movie. Um, You might remember him from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as, I guess, like, I'm trying to think of the character that he was in. He was Tatsu. Yeah. Was basically oh, like yeah, that's where. I, yeah, the, he was like the right hand man to Shredder. Yes. And I'm like, dude, he made. OK, I have to look at this. So if there's anything else you want to bring up right now, the Jay, feel free to do so, because I need to look this up. This will be worth it. Oh, I'll, I'll, perfect timing. Uh, so we work good together as the tag team champions 
of weekly podcasting. Hate you up, but returning to the TNP Thursday Night Prime segment on the What's Real podcast, we've had a lapse in it. It is you, I see. You, I see. Unintentional comedy, and I have my quotes. So the first one is when uh, Cynthia Rothrock's character, Chris, and Richard Norton's Preston stumble upon Hannah the Hun and like her her gang, if you will, like for the first time, and all this crazy shit's going on. And in my terrible Australian voice that Preston Michael says, he's like, he like, like when at first all this crazy shit starts happening around him, he's like, this is a gag. And then it like keeps going and then it like get chased and shit. He's like, this gotta be a gag. <laughs> like, yeah, he keeps saying Yeah, you gotta hear it to see it. It's just hilarious. All I have I have this in here too. The skateboard chase scene question mark. Because that was one of the most fucking goofy things oh I've ever God. seen. I'm like, so, like, who is like, oh, this skateboarding thing's really taken off. We gotta add that in our movie. Like, cause that's how it feels. And dude, you were speaking of the quotes. I have a good one. Experience the art of martial science. As some <laughs> like, it's like somebody kicks somebody's head off, and it's like experience the art of martial science. It's like Shut okay, bitch. Yeah, like good good line, bro. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing here, um, dude? The now there's one fight scene that I wanted to bring up specifically. So Michaels is fighting this cop in a fucking hospital. And he pushes a whole reception area into the cop like it was a table to block him from shooting him. And these are like full out reset. Like, I don't think that they move. Yeah. It would be like the, in the equivalent of like a movie where like you're going to shoot me and I push a whole wall into you so you can't shoot me. It's like that didn't that's not a table. Yeah, they, don't, like even do, they don't even do that in the Matrix. Exactly. That's what I'm like. <laughs> and, they're, and this is keep in mind, this character has no fucking supernatural ability he's not some fucking he's not on some super drug that makes him strong it's just i'm supposed to believe this australian dude can move things that aren't furniture like he can move (laughs) walls and things apparently a couple of my other quotes uh these are the last two dude i was dying At, at one point uh preston michaels and this dude are kind of button heads and they're like going back and forth and and you i'm sure you remember this because it you're probably cracking up too. He's like, I'm starting to think you're not Australian. You're Canadian. And, and Preston Michaels is like, is everyone in LA an asshole? Yes. <laughs> you're not, I'm starting to think you're not Australian. You're Canadian for no reason. And then the one, the one thug at one point, they have like the guns on them and he's like the last one left. And he just says, fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck it. He says fuck it like four times in a row. Dude. I'll have to track that down for Cam to throw in like we used to do on TMP, dude. But I was just dying with some of this shit. I need you to clarify a scene for me in this movie. So there's a scene. So they're, everybody's trying to get this videotape, okay? And at one point, this dude pulls a gun out on him. And it's like, <laughs> it, it takes the gun. Or I think she takes the gun. And it's like fucked up. And she's like, oh, it's jammed. And he takes it and he cocks it back. And he's like, it's not jammed. And then just shoots. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I don't know why they did any of that. that none of that made <laughs> yeah. any sense at all. So that was a big one. And then it's like, dude, after the cage fight with Nathan and Rothrock, which you were talking about earlier, oh, where God. he gets the tape. I'm like, this shit is beyond terrible. I'm like, what the fuck even is this? I don't even get it. Like, what are they trying to do here? 
Yeah, but that's why I love it. Just so bad it's good because uh, you know this last week's TNP with American Ninja Three. It was just so bad it's bad kind of thing. And, that's and true. Yeah. Th- this brought back the classic TNP we love, which is all the goofiness where I was just dying. You know, which which all leads, of course, to the climax where, of course, Cynthia Rothrock's character Chris Fairfield and the the main villain Brian Thompson's Conrad Drago are siblings. Their brother and sister for again for no reason yeah and dude this is even weirder to me so i brought up earlier tatsu from teenage mutant ninja turtles that movie came out two years before this so it's like he probably filmed that and then went straight to filming raging honor yeah <laughs> like, i probably should have went the other way around but i mean whatever i guess but uh, do, do you got a tagline for us for this one, the J? Yeah, there's a tagline. So rage and honor, a deadly battle for justice in an exotic and dangerous world. <laughs> Which makes no sense. They're, yeah, they're like in fucking inner city Detroit. Yeah, they're not in the rainforest in fucking Guadalajara. <laughs> yeah. Like f- that's exotic, bro. It, but you know what was great that? was the fight scene at the end, of course, between Thompson and Rothrock with the slow motion. Yeah, cuts here and there, and then they both Rothrock gets thrown off the roof and lands on like a goddamn central air unit, and and lands it, and then Thompson goes off and lands on pipes, and the, yeah. he's like, he's like, don't worry, the ambulance is coming. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, dude, damn, is this bad? And again, another one of these movies that just has the weirdest possible ending ever, like. <laughs> Just yeah, ends. It just ends. Like, oh no! The, the, it's the, actually the great. Yeah, he gets he hitchhikes and he gets yes. picked up in the truck and he's like, I, I I hear an accent there. Where are you from, man? He's like England. Yeah. He's like he's like who gives a shit? <laughs> and he just starts and laughing. And then they drive away in a yeah. pickup truck. Yeah. As the and it's the classic. It's like dear dear dude. Oh my god. So as we do here on the show, we have a five-star rating scale. Jay, what are you giving Rage and Honor? Nice, solid two stars. Hey, yo, for Rage and Honor. Great minds, brother. Two oh, stars yeah, it's a two well. two-star. Uh, the movie stinks, but it's fucking hilarious. Um, it's, dude, this is oddly the dude, the same director, by the way, Terrence Winkless, who made The Nest uh, from, I believe, 1987. Yeah, with Sandra Bullock. Which is a really good fucking movie for oh not the one with Sandra Bullock. <laughs> <laughs> this has Robert Lansing in it. It's actually, uh, I remember that one. It, it, it's a really cool eighties like horror flick yeah. with fucking biological mutant fucking roaches. But uh, yeah, that's much better than than Rage and Honor. So that is it for us here this week on Thursday Night Prime. We'll have another fantastic title for you guys next week. But we are up against another commercial break. Whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up the show, and the J is going to take us down the majestic waterfall of goofs. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everyone. This is the J with the What's Real Podcast. Here today to talk about Altius Restaurant, Elevated Cuisine, elevating the Pittsburgh dining experience. Rated 4 Diamond by AAA, Altius, the second restaurant concept from B. DeFrancis and Chef Jessica Bauer, has quickly risen in ranks as one of the top restaurants in Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania. Their first restaurant, Bistro 19, a local favorite in Mount Lebanon, opened in 2006 and continues to enjoy great success. 
As the Pittsburgh dining scene began to prosper, they felt it was the perfect opportunity to provide the city with a new restaurant that not only offered unparalleled views, but also a truly elevated dining experience. Check us out today at altiuspgh.com. That's altiuspgh.com. Or give us a call at 412-904-4442. Altius Elevated Cuisine. This is Timothy James with the What's Real Podcast, welcoming you to Goose or Goose. And we're back, and it's that time once again. The J, what do we got this week on the Goof front? <sighs> hey, yeah, we are back. This beautiful vista. Look at that beautiful sunset. See it is beautiful. Birds out here, man. And we sit here and just take it in on the waterfall of Goofs. And here we are, Goose or Goofs, episode 109 going balls out hey ed and to go into themes of the podcast we were just breaking down genius with our man kanye west so why not start goose or goose with a couple of kanye stories first and oh, foremost boy. this one has one of the mascots of goose or goose he easily has the record of being the individual on goose or goose more than any person in the history of the earth and that is former steeler wide receiver Antonio Brown is back. Did you hear this breaking news? Hey, Ed, he Please and Con- tell me what I think you're going to say. He and Kanye West, uh, you know, uh, now. It, so Kanye promoted him because you know how they were hanging out. So we, we've yeah. been over that. Antonio Brown and Kanye have been hanging out. And Antonio Brown is no longer a player in the NFL for now anyway, but he's betem- attempting to become an owner. Hey, Ed, the former Tampa oh. Bay Bucks wide receiver is now the president of Donda Sports. Kanye West Company, of course, and Kanye and AB are extremely serious about buying the Denver Broncos. Dude, okay, so <laughs> throw that. Did at you ya. see? Did you see? The, I'll get back to this, but did you see the the TMZ thing that they had on Antonio Brown today? No. So this dude was driving a Ferrari. I did see that and, he had like a mask on and hit a curb. Yeah, because he's driving with a fucking mask on that he can't see out of. Jesus in a four hundred thousand dollar car. I fucking hate this dude. Yeah, but, we'd, we'd meet him. He'd be like, "Man, Jared, why am I always on goose or goose, man?" It's like so you're driving with you, a mask on. It, as you try to buy the Denver Broncos, like yeah, valued at close to four billion. He said, "Tell Roger Goodell to call me. We're working on it. We're working towards getting it done." Well, here here's the major thing to think about here. Uh, Kanye, uh, I'm not going to dispute. I will dispute it with Antonio Brown. He can't afford this. He does not have that kind of money. Kanye does, but he doesn't. So, like, what's you know, Kanye going to buy the team, and they're going to be like, you get to have them two chairs and Section D, motherfucker. You got to love how the Spun.com puts it. A sale to Kanye and, and Antonio Brown is, of course, highly unlikely. <laughs> That's all I think. Shocking. And you mean to tell me the collective ownership group of the NFL wouldn't welcome them to insane people as the fucking, like... To run a team like, <laughs> oh, ridiculous. And the Kanye news continues. It's Kanye West week here on the double question mark. Woo-hoo. Uh, no one wanted to tell me I was dead. Kanye claims in a poem that he was murdered. Do you hear this one? Nope. So Kanye penned a super ominous poem about his death, an event he says has already occurred in the foundation of his premise is murder. 
Well, the Jay, to borrow one of uh, our funniest comedic uh, things that we do that we got from The Simpsons many years ago, let me just say... <coughs> the, poem, yeah. the poem is pretty incredible, and it appears to be a case of <laughs> art imitating Here, life. Let me, let me say it out loud. Roses are blue, sometimes they're red. This shit's fucked up because I'm already dead. <laughs> you nailed it. Hey, Ed. Perfect. I got it memorized. <laughs> yeah. I'm as, a genius. As, as TNZ states, if we could be so bold to interpret, it seems Kanye's telegraphing that all of his recent struggles, notably, of course, his, popu or his popular, his famous divorce from Kim Kardashian has left him lifeless, but he didn't realize it until now. <laughs> the poem begins with, no one wanted to tell me I was dead. You know what I don't want any more of in this world, the Jay? What's that? Sad, sad emo billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus let, Christ. Let me throw a line at you. Hey, Ed, no one wanted to tell me I was dead. People coming to my grave, sprinkling bread on the ground so the birds could be fed. <laughs> <laughs> to reference the Simpsons. Settle down, Socrates. <laughs> Moving on, Goofs or Goose 109 here on the What's Real podcast. Uh, this was a good one here. Hey, you know, in a, a case of bizarre crimes, you know it's always a good start when, when just the title. My favorite kind of crime, personally. <laughs> yeah. How to get ahead. Thieves steal human heads in Denver. So we're full circle. We're still in Denver. Wait a minute. Okay, go ahead. Uh, this is going to be amazing. Go ahead. What's in the box? Well, it depends who's asking because someone stole a box of disembodied human heads intended for medical research from a company truck in Denver. And no, we're not kidding. All right. So this is this sounds like a mixture between what things to do in Denver when you're dead and uh, fucking eight heads in a duffel bag. <laughs> yeah. Denver police are investigating after they received the report on March 3rd about a theft from a freight company truck. Let's put it this way. The thieves are in for the shock of their lives. So these idiots, I don't even think they realized what they were stealing. So that's, that's the best part of it. Like, man, look at all this money we got. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's unclear. It goes on to say it's unclear if the thieves knew the box had human heads inside, but cops say it did have a label that said exempt human specimen you know what i you know tell the cops to call me i could actually solve this you know who did that it was only one person who al snow <laughs> yeah good point <laughs> and it's it's great the tmz's story ends saying that said if anyone finds a box containing human heads they are encouraged to call the denver police department at 913-2000 Meanwhile, there's some dude like, God damn it, if I find some fucking heads, it's my ability to keep them if I want to, finders keepers. If I find them, heads are going to roll because I'm going bowling with them. <laughs> like, settle down, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> As we can continue, Goose or Goose, this is our viral video of the week. Uh, I actually, I think we sent this to each other. I sent it to you. Uh, it's from Barstool Sports, so easy to find for those listening. If you want to check out our viral videos we talk about, and we'll describe it real quick. But we shouldn't even be giving them any props. So I'm not going to say the country it appears in because it could be anywhere. So let, let's just go with, uh, fuck it, uh, Germany. In Germany, these dudes are doing a workout, and it says, me and the boys getting ready for the weekend. And there's a dude hanging from a tree with his friend punching him in the stomach 
so he can like work his core. But what is bouncing them on the tree? A actual bear. Did you remember that yeah, one? I, They're working out with the uh, bear. No, it doesn't ring a bell. The Jay, I don't remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, it. Some some dude like they, he posted the video and he's like, "Why does this look like the background of one board you play on Street Fighter 2? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's great yeah for those just it's, here in our description these this dude's hanging from a tree and there's a bear in the background pushing down the other branch so he's like bouncing like the dude it's just ridiculous i've seen another one where some dude was like man russian jails be different yeah. <laughs> in in full, full circle as we do here on the show another one of our goofs or goofs mascots pete davidson himself and oh, the man that we call here on the show, the human dildo, Jeff Bezos, Pete Davidson is reportedly the next celebrity joining Bezos for a space flight. Just leave him there. <laughs> yeah, these two. Christ. Yeah, both. I just, you know, I'm actually, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> um, I almost made a challenger joke, but I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're not, we're not that far in the wishing hour, witching hour for those kind of jokes. Hey, yo, we can get through easy it. for you to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have entered the witching hour next up on goose or goofs. This is a great one. It's from directly from men's health. Hey, Ed, 20 questions with a guy who had a Panuma penis enlargement surgery. My girlfriend has told her friends and a lot of them have been begging her to have a threesome. Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> it's, it's a fucking, Captain Weird Dick over here, <laughs> yeah. but but of course it's like uh, it's under a pay window, <laughs> so, which I didn't realize. What, so, what the dick or the article? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> <laughs> both. <laughs> so we won't be unfortunately. No, nope, no, nope, nope, nope. Yeah. This this is this is the new uh, brand new uh, requirement here on the What's Real podcast. If we pick an article for something and it's behind a pay window, there's only one thing we can do: speculate and make it up ourselves. Exactly. So that's what we're going to do right now. So tell us about this dude with his dick surgery. The J, what happened? Yeah, twenty questions with a guy who had enlargement surgery. So it's gonna it's gonna remain a mystery. <laughs> hey, Ed. no, no, it's. Say the title again. 20 cues with a guy who had enlargement surgery. He didn't. It wasn't his dick. He had his whole body surgically fixed. So now he's eight foot five. He's, he's the real life Incredible Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always wanted to be green and nine foot tall. What do you think it's, I meant by enlargement surgery? Not just my penis. And it's like, then they're like, uh, what's the size of your penis? And it's like, I told you you wouldn't like me when I was angry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can't write it. You can't, you know, imitate. Sure you the, can. We're, we're doing that right now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Goddamn witching hour. The dub H. How about this one? Hey, uh, hey, drugs when you have the witching hour. Exactly. A New York City man was rescued twice in two days on Arizona hikes. This fucking, <laughs> this fucking idiot. Guess where he's from? <laughs> the Bronx. Brooklyn. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Dude, I don't, I'll be honest. I know a handful of dudes from Brooklyn. Not one of them would have taken that offer in a million years, ever. <laughs> yeah. 
A New York City man who needed to be rescued twice on consecutive days while hiking in northern Arizona in a mountain range is urging others to pay more attention to winter weather than he did. Warning, unless you're an experienced alpine mountaineer, <laughs> do not attempt Humphrey's Peak in the winter. It's more difficult and the wind is brutal. The 28-year-old Brooklyn man first called 911 last Wednesday when he got lost and then the next day when he got lost again. <laughs> hey, at least he's trying. You know what kills me about this? He's like, to anybody, like, don't do this. It's like, I don't need the lesson. You yeah, do. Yeah, you did. I didn't have to call to be rescued twice in the fucking Arizona mountains. I'm sitting here watching fucking TV. I'm going to follow it up next week where he got lost again. And he's giving <laughs> he's, advice. And now he's the long lost fucking New Yorker. Like they never find him and he becomes like a myth. <laughs> yeah. Like he haunts the he haunts the Arizona mountains. Yeah. <laughs> Last but not least, to go in with the big blockbuster opening uh, over the past weekend of the Batman, starring Robert Pattinson, as the Batman screening features a guest appearance. Hey Ed, a real bat in Austin, Texas. That makes sense. Of course. Moviegoers in Austin, Texas got to see more than one type of bat during a screening of the Batman this weekend. An actual bat was spotted swooping around inside the theater, putting the movie on pause while management called animal control and tried unsuccessfully to get the critter out, which is hilarious. That'd be our luck. Like we're, we're like so pumped, nice and stoned, getting ready to see the Batman. Then there's a fucking bat. We're like, dude, we'll, we'll watch the fucking movie. It's not bothering us. Like, no, no, no. We got to do this. And then the motherfuckers can't get it. And it's like, thanks, bro. This is the only three-hour window I had all week to see this <laughs> yeah. fucking movie. And I get to see a real bat. And I'm like, I don't even want to be here. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, but I had to bring this up because it was so funny. I actually sent this to you. Somebody on Twitter, at Fisackerly, said, I like how the Batman has titled what your aunt would call it. Yeah, like you're going like, to see that the Batman. See the Batman? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. But uh, I could I could tell you, hey, Al, there were no reports of anyone being bitten during the incident. Less than one percent of bats in the wild have rabies. Hey, how about this for weird? This is actually something that I experienced when I was a kid. Uh, we lived in a place and we were just hanging out one night in the summertime, and like you heard something in like the hallway. And my dad was like, what the fuck was that? And we were like, I don't know. Next thing you know, a bat's flying in our house. And like, it ended up getting out. Like, but I found something out that night. If there's ever a bat in your house, you know the easiest way to fucking attack it? Not a broom, which I learned from the great outdoors from the 80s. Correct. Yep. A tennis racket. Oh, uh, good call. Yeah, I've seen because, that. Because they actually, like, they have fucking like radar. Because their vision's so bad. Yeah, right. And it's like they can't tell the fucking, you know, like the middle part of the racket, like with the whatever the fuck that's called, the part you hit the ball with. They can't tell that that's coming at them. Uh, they can tell a baseball bat or a broom, but like that has holes in it. Like they can't. It completely fucks up their radar. And that's how you could actually knock one out of the fucking see, sky. See, if folks, if, if you're listening to us, now you learn something on the What's Real podcast, how to take out a yeah. fucking bat. I had bats in my house, so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. The, the movie house and eatery by Sinopolis says the bat was likely released into the theater as a prank. The theater's general manager, Heidi Dino, said they will be adding additional security and checking all bags upon guest entry. And that includes ball bags. <laughs> my bag had, has a disease. <laughs> yeah, we had to add that in from last week. 
full circle, witching hour. But as I say to my bruja from another muha between Pete Davidson and the human dildo hitting the space realm, 20 questions with penis games being paywalled, Russian bear workouts, Kanye's poem, real life Batman, and a man rescued 17 times in two days. Goofs are goofs. 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 So- that's about it for us this week here on the show. If you guys are listening on iTunes, feel free to give us a five-star review. Helps us out, get more eyes and ears on the program. Of course, you can listen every week on all your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and each and every week at churchillpictures.com. If you have anything you'd like to add to the show, you guys can send us an email at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Again, that's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. But before we get out of here, here are the J revving it up. So the J, take it away. Revving it up like the only bat in history that dodged a tennis racket swipe. Hey, you know, love the show, man. Got to say all the usual as we wrap things up. The shout out to the wizard himself, the wizard behind the boards, our producer, Cam. Thanks for what you do, Cam. Got us back on track as we've been talking about over the last few weeks. We're going to keep doing everything we can for that consistent sound quality. And we can't do it without you, Cam. We appreciate you. To anybody hearing my voice, Hope you're enjoying the journey, man. We're having a blast here on the What's Real podcast, and we love bringing it to you each and every week. Talk about consistency. And as I got to say, because I lead the charge, like the Hulk, the, the enlarged Hulk that we were talking about earlier, like it's the end of Endgame in the MCU. Hey, yeah. stay safe, stay healthy. You'll hear that Jay next week. So again, that's about it this week. Of course, shout out to our producer, Cam, for all the hard work he puts in here on the show. And as we know, Nobody beats the Wiz and the J clang clang brother. Clang, Another clang. successful tag team championship title defense for us here on the program. Nobody else I'd rather do it with brother still undefeated almost three years running pal. So not too bad either, but that is it for us this week here on the show. Don't forget to join us next week for episode what? 110. Wow. Already 110. So join us for that and beyond next week. So stay safe. Stay healthy, fuck Putin, and we'll see you here next week on the What's Real Podcast. What's real? What's real?